Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, that's interesting. The uh, uh, the show started about 20 seconds early, according to my counter and my time clock. So um, who knows? Did we get the beginning intro? <laughs> I don't find out until the podcast. Uh, this is kind of crazy. Um, so it's um, last week was interesting. Last week we were jammed with guests. We had some amazing people on. We had uh, Naomi Wolf, and I introduced her to uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, who's a friend of the show. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, we had uh, Bianca Von Krieg our West Coast uh, reporter who brought on uh, Steve Stern, who I've been talking to a few times. So hopefully he'll be working with us on the show. He does flag shirt. Uh, Dom, he's the flag shirt guy. And so that was a great, uh, great show. We had Jenna McCarthy on Friday. Uh, we had Jason Shepard on Thursday. Uh, Jason Shepard is the founder of the Wimkin social media site, uh, which I do contribute to. And we had uh, Jenna McCarthy, who uh, wrote the book, with uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, The War on Ivermectin. And it's interesting that Suzanne Summers just passed away. And I was talking to folks about this. Uh, apparently her cancer came back. And if you've been reading Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. D- Dr. Pierre Corey, and other folks, uh, Dr. Brian Artist, a lot of people are, are coming out and talking about what they're calling a turbo cancer. So turbo cancer is, you know, a turbocharger. It supercharges uh, an engine by, by pumping mass amounts of air in it, uh, especially at higher altitudes, so it gets, you know, sea level power. So it's a way to power up your engine. But uh, turbo in the sense of cancer is something that powers up your cancer. And, and what would power up your cancer? Uh, anything that powers up your cancer is bad. And so what they're thinking is those that uh, the COVID jab uh, are suddenly finding uh, cancers that were going away uh, come back with a vengeance and kill them. And I know that uh, from uh, you know personal experience with a friend of mine, a uh, friend of the show, Dr. Uh, you know, Dr. Peter Pry, who was on for years, who uh, had kidney cancer, um, and it, it was going away. It, you know, it was fine. And then he got a COVID jab. Six months later, he's dead. And I still feel that loss, you know. And so this is personal to me. And so, you know, I lose a friend, you know, to cancer that uh, – and I told him, I said, Peter, don't get the shot. I said, what if, oh, I have to. I've got to, uh, you know, uh, things he had to do, right, for, for his job and stuff. He said, I have to do it. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, I was like, six months later, he's gone. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going on right now. So it, it is fascinating to watch all these different events and different things that are, uh, um, that are, are happening in the world. All right. So we're back on radio. Uh, it's Monday. <laughs> you know, I just put a little note to myself here. Oh boy, it's Monday. I go, I can do radio again. That's on live chat. So if you're not on live chat, please go on live chat. Uh, you can type in from anywhere in the world. Uh, Marco, a lot of times joins us from the Netherlands. Uh, in fact, Netherlands, uh, listenership is, is kind of going up. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so that's a good thing. Anyway, we've got a lot of things happening. Um, like I say, last week was all guests. This week, I don't have any guests. So it's kind of nice, actually. I get a chance to, uh, um, you know, to chat with you and, and talk about some of the major issues. Today's going to be an interesting show, I think. We have a lot of stuff to discuss. We've got um, our, our regular folks, um, Dorothy Diana with the Sex and Sensuality Report at 9 o'clock, and then uh, Jonathan Mosley with the Legal Report at 8 o'clock. And that's Central Time. So if you're Eastern Time or some other time, you know, it's going to be different. But that's, that's the Central Time. Uh, group that we have here now uh, for the uh, a few weeks before this we had Jessica Rivera uh, who was reporting with us um, on on different uh, things that she found interesting and so I you know like I say I like to let interesting people do their thing and so now Jessica today is reporting for right side broadcasting she's in Iowa for the Trump rally 
And so uh, it's, it's really great to be able to have folks like Jessica drop in and do some reporting uh, and then go on and uh, with, with the large conservative media, because I'm hoping that uh, they will help. You know, they will actually report on us. You know, in large conservative, you know, that large conservative media will take us growing folks that are totally suppressed. They're suppressed too, but uh, they're bigger. You know, and then we'll be bigger too. It's just a matter of time. Uh, I got something to announce tomorrow, which I'll tell you in great detail. I just don't want to do it yet. <laughs> One more thing to do in advance, but I've got some. I got some big news coming up. All right, so let's let's uh, let's get into the main topic, uh, which is today. Uh, the CCP, the CCP, that is the, the Chinese Communist Party strategy to cause four wars for the U.S., one with terrorists. Okay, so last week, I'm, I'm looking around. I'm always looking for the, the most intelligent people I can find with the greatest analysis, especially if it's different than what everybody else is saying. I'm watching Steve Bannon. I'm watching The War Room, which I do after the show a lot of times. And, and this guy comes on, uh, Joshua Phillip. Never heard of this guy. He, he's an Epic Times my only problem with Epic Times is they require subscriptions. And if I subscribe to every news service that I wanted to, it would cost a fortune. <laughs> so I can't do that. But I do have a, a vast collection. I have a whole uh, file on my computer dedicated to different uh, you know, conservative websites, news services, uh, magazine, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. And a lot of times, you know, especially with the New York Times and Washington Post, they want subscriptions too. So what, uh, what you can do to save money is just put the title of the article, just make that a search. And you'll find that a lot of reprints in other places don't charge you. Uh, nothing against, uh, you know, paying for, for news. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm, I'm looking for advertisers here. Uh, but, uh, if, you know, like I say, for small stations, when you get too many, you know, it, it, can be, uh, it can be a bit of a challenge. Anyway, that's how you do that. So, anyway, I'm watching Steve Bannon. And uh, hopefully he'll be on his show, actually, at some point. Or I'm, I'm looking at that as well. And I'm watching this guy. And he's got an analysis that I've never heard. And he's talking about that the Chinese Communist Party – you know, met with uh, the Palestinians, you know, Hamas, you know, before they attacked Israel. And of course, everybody's focused on Iran, which I'm sure funded it. And I've got articles saying they funded it, they planned it, they gave the go-ahead, you know, they trained them. And uh, oh, speaking of training, where, where did Hamas learn to fly those, uh, you know, aerial go-karts? Where did they learn to do that? Now, there's got to be a terrorist training camp somewhere. It wouldn't be in Gaza because Israel would see it, right? Probably not in the Golan Heights. You know, I, I can't imagine you can go online and look for the Hamas paragliding club and find it somewhere. That's not going to happen. So, so where did they where did they learn to fly paragliders? If I can make a little note to myself here. So this will this will be this will be like a Jonathan question. We'll ask him when he when he comes on. Where 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 did Hamas fly paragliders? to I don't think they're called paragliders. I'm not sure exactly what they're called. But they got like a parachute on top. Uh, well, let's call them paragliders for now. Usually I think of a paraglider as actually a non-powered thing. I mean, Pianchi talked about that too. He was, he was on the show talking about that at one point. He says some of them wearing on their, uh, on their backs. And I'm thinking, hey, you can't do that. It's, it's usually a, a thing that you ride in. And he says, no, no. no okay, fine. Apparently, Pianchi was right. So uh, I took a look and said, oh, yeah, I guess you can wear them as like a backpack. So that's possible too. But usually it's like a two-person thing. And so what it is, you sit in a cart and you've got like an airboat engine behind you. You've got a propeller in a cage, kind of like an airboat. And then you've got uh, this parachute above you, which serves as your wing. And you can fly them because they got a, the power thing. I've actually ridden in a, in a trike, for example. And a trike has a hang glider wing on top of it. And you kind of push and direct and move that around. And so I, th I forget what they're called, weight shifting, flying, or something like that. Anyway, I prefer an airplane with, you know, regular wings, regular controls, all that kind of stuff. 
So looking to start flying again here at some point soon. Anyway, so, so where did they learn to fly paragliders? There had to be a training camp somewhere. I mean, no one's looking into this. I, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know where, I mean, who trained him out? Did they train in Iran? Does Iran have a paraglider flying club? You know, the, the terrorist training for, for paragliders? Somebody had to teach these folks, okay? You know, <laughs> the, the, I mean, Hamas in, in Gaza is not what I call a technically sophisticated, you know, military force. You know, a bunch of terrorists who, who behead, you know, babies. I mean, they're horrible, disgusting people. So, which leads to the next question. And the next question is, uh, well, I got a sort of an overall question. Hamas... I mean, as much as they are barbaric, they're not completely stupid. And the, we know the leaders are in Qatar or Qatar. You know, I prefer Qatar. It makes more sense. So the Palestinian, so the Hamas leaders are in Qatar, so they can watch everything and you know sit in their lap of luxury, much like the Kuwaiti leaders. You know, when we were quote invading you know Iraq to make uh, Kuwait safe for oil drilling, um, their their leaders were in the, on the French Riviera, you know, and Monarch partying up while we were doing you know their work for them, kind of thing which is really stupid. You know, it, it, there's no reason for Iraq. There's no reason for Afghanistan. Uh, the next interesting thing is that uh, the Chinese, we'll get into this more as we go along. I mean, I, I say things as they pop into my head just so I don't forget anything. Um, but they were talking about how the United States, you know, really needs to, can only really focus on one war at a time. And so we were focusing on Ukraine. That was our war. We were focusing on Afghanistan. That was our war. We were focusing on Iraq. That was our war. You know, these, these are essential wars. No, they're not. No, they're not. And, and God bless us, the people that served. But uh, no, there was no reason for Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Vietnam or Korea, for that matter, too. The, the only reason there were wars there is because the United Nations separated the countries in the north and south. So the problem is not the, the war. The problem is the United Nations. They're the ones that caused the problem. Anyway, back to this, uh, um, back to the, this whole idea of what's going on here. So everybody knows what Israel is going to do if attacked. They're going to retaliate massively. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that uh, Hamas cannot defeat Israel. They can't, you know. So why would Hamas do this? You know, it, it, it's bad enough that they attacked Israel, but it, they did it in the most brutal fashion, you know, medieval, biblical-style, you know, barbaric warfare. This is like, you know, it goes back to Roman legions conquering, you know, Carthage, place like that, you know, with swords. This is that kind of, that kind of barbarism, where like all the firstborn men are, you know, boys are killed, right, that kind of thing. That's what we're talking about here. So Hamas goes in. And, and, and does this, you know, ancient biblical, you know, Roman, Egyptian, Greek, you know, well, I don't think the Greeks get it, Persian. Yeah. Persian. Oh, there's an interesting country, Persia, which is now Iran, right? So they did this old-style massacre, you know, of people uh, in the most barbaric way possible. And the, and the strangest thing was that they videotaped what they were doing. Not only that, they took the phones. I heard this over the weekend. They took the phones of their victims got to social, their social media accounts and showed all their friends and family their own murder. So everything they did was designed to incite a war. See, now that's interesting. So if you're a group of terrorists, you want to commit your acts of terrorism and get out so you can commit more acts of terrorism. Not in this case. They've committed an act of terrorism, the, the soldiers, while the leaders are in, in Qatar, the Hamas leaders are in Qatar. The, 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 the soldiers of Hamas in Gaza committed acts, of, committed atrocities so bad, they've guaranteed an Israeli response. And, of course, Israel has contingency plans, right? They, they, you know, they, they didn't just uh, make up this invasion plan of Gaza. This, this invasion plan of Gaza has been on the books probably ever since Gaza was created. 
Um, oh, here we go. So Marco, I just if I just tune in the live chat. Marco says we've got this will anger you. This is a supermarket called AH in Amsterdam. AH. Uh, do you know if I can? Uh, it's a Twitter thing. Can I look it up during the show? And I try not to do that because it it takes away from my my website. Uh, Marco, why don't you just explain to me real briefly? Marco's on live chat, and so for those of you listening on the podcast, you don't get live chat. Um, so this is why I actually I talked to him. He types to me. I talk to him. It's, it's kind of weird. It's like a friend of mine I had who um, is uh, both blind and deaf. And uh, I, I, she talks to me because she can talk, right? But I type to her on, on a thing that, that does a little – it's a Braille machine. It pops up these little dots so she can sort of, you know, read what I'm saying. Uh, it's funny. So there's a person that can, that can see and hear and talk, me – does the typing, and the person that can't hear and can't see does the talking. This is really interesting communicating. All right, so there, but uh, but back to the point. Back to the point here. Um, so Amsterdam. Well, Amsterdam is a liberal, progressive city. I'm sure. You know, do you guys have like the Palestinian, uh, you know, uh, paragliding club? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this is Marco. I don't know what at what point Marco tuned in. I was talking earlier about you know who who taught Hamas to fly paragliders and to shoot from them. That's a skill, okay? You know, you got to practice that. And so this is this is the head. To, so so where's the training camp? You know, I'm sure it's in Iran somewhere. But I just find that interesting that uh, you know, with all the satellite technology and all the things that we watch and all the terrorist camps we're supposedly monitoring, I kind of miss this one. So which goes back to our other point. So so back to the story. So Hamas barbarically uh, attacks Israel. And doing something where the response is absolutely known. Everybody knows what's going to happen next. Israel's going to invade Gaza. Everybody knew that. All right? Israel already has plans to invade Gaza. Everybody knew that too. Okay? So we're, st- we're still too predictable here. Why are these things happening? You know, and so these people know they're going to get killed. So then the next thing is Israel says to evacuate because we're going to come invade. Of course, Hamas says, no, stay, <laughs> please stay, you know, die, die for the cause, all right? So Hamas doesn't care because the leaders are in Qatar. They're, they're having, uh, you know, sushi and lobster, and they're, they're, they're living, you know, incredibly well, and they don't care about their people. If they did, you know, the <laughs> they wouldn't do what they're doing. They wouldn't have sent them in, you know, to, to start a war. They can't win. <laughs> so this is just crazy. So, okay, Marco says, uh, this was the sign uh, in the supermarket in Amsterdam this weekend. It says, unfortunately, we have to work. Otherwise, we would show our solidarity with the Palestinian victims. On oh, here we go. Here we go. So this is so this is in Amsterdam. All right, this is a direct from Amsterdam. Marco says um, you know, on a supermarket. Unfortunately, we have to work. Otherwise, we would show our solidarity with the Palestinian victims on Dam Square today. So I'm not sure. I guess Dam Square is someplace in Amsterdam. That would make sense. Uh, and this is please keep the victims, mostly children of Gaza. In your thoughts and hearts. This is not a religious matter. This is a humane matter. <laughs> no, it is a religious matter. We were talking Muslims and Jews. Okay, it's not as, you know. Then it says, from the Riber to the, I'm not sure the Riber is, to the sea, Palestinian, oh, Palestinia will be free. And that's the AH team. I guess the AH is that supermarket. Okay, first of all, this is a bunch of nonsense. Besides being highly inflammatory, oh, river, there we go. So from the river to the sea. So I guess that would be the River Jordan, uh, the West Bank of which is Israel, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. The East Bank is Jordan. So Jordan splits Jordan and Israel. Jordan was supposed to be Israel in the 1947, 48, with the, or, or the World War I, post-World War I Balfour Declaration. Greater Israel was, you know, from the Sinai to Jordan. That was Israel. 
And then the British kind of wimped out and, you know, a bunch of other folks, Arabs said, oh, we want more land. We, Israel, that's too big for Israel. Oh, okay, fine. So I, I posted something on Facebook just a little bit before the show. And, you know, I mean, I'm always posting things. So I post, my, here's my solution. The one nation solution. Israel reunification, and I use that word intentionally, reunification with Gaza, Golan, and the West Bank into the nation of Israel. Israel is not a state. It's a country. And so I never like hearing the state of Israel. We, we don't say the state of the United States. We don't say the state of England. We don't say the state of the Netherlands. We say the country of the Netherlands or, or the, uh, you know, the nation. See, it's diminishing to call Israel a state. I, I think that's why they do that. They, they call Israel a state. They call other countries countries or nations. But they call Israel a state to diminish its, its status. Well, then you can equate with Palestine, which isn't a state. It's actually, it was a region. As Wendy was explaining the other day, who does our Oh My God report, who actually detailed the whole story between uh, um, Abraham, who both Muslims and, uh, and Jews see as a prophet, uh, who had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. You know, Isaac was natural born from his wife, and uh, Ishmael was from uh, a servant because they didn't think they could have kids. <laughs> and so Ishmael is who the Muslims claim. Well, he's firstborn. Well, he's, he's uh, you know, illegitimate, as they say uh, in the old days, you know. Uh, and, uh, and Isaac was firstborn. That's what the Jews claim, right? Well, he was firstborn. Well, he was secondborn to Abraham, but he was firstborn to Abraham and uh, Sarah, you know. So this is biblical prophecy. So the Muslims claim the firstborn as with the, the servant, <laughs> you know, and, or the friend. And uh, the, the, the Jews claim the firstborn with the wife. So it's a really interesting. And, and I said, from that, they're still arguing? From Abraham till now? They're, they're fighting over this land based on that? <laughs> Apparently so. So this is where it gets more interesting. So it says, so Marco says, from the river to the sea means force the Israelis out of the area between Jordan and the sea. Okay, well, that's not going to work because that is the entire, entirety of Israel. So my solution is just the opposite. All right? And I wish Israel would start saying this, and I wish Jewish people would start saying this, and I wish everybody would start saying this. We don't need a two-state solution. We need a one-nation solution. My one-nation solution is the reunification. Okay? So in other words, the reason I use the word reunification is that implies that this was part of Israel, okay? which they gave up, stupidly. You know, so Israel reunification with Gaza, Golan, that's the Golan Heights, and the West Bank into the nation of Israel. Israel is not a state, it's a country. Okay? So the solution to the problems of Israel are very simple. Israel reunifies into Israel Gaza, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. And then we proceed from there, people. That's how you do it. Now, where, well, what about the Gazans? What about the Palestinians? Well, Palestinians are, 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 I guess, refugees from Ottoman Turkey from World War I. You know, and there's plenty of places they can go. Jordan and Egypt would be the first two that come to mind. Egypt, because it's connected to Gaza. Jordan, because it's connected to, to it's across the river from the West Bank. So there's plenty of places for Palestinians to go. Or Palestinians can, as a lot of Palestinians have chosen to do, live peacefully in Israel. Why? Because life is better than under Hamas and Gaza. <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of folks of, of uh, Palestinian, Ottoman, Turk, you know, Muslim origin are not stupid. And they realize that it's in their best interest. No, they just want a better life, right? What, what do they say all the illegals come here for? No, they just want a better welfare check. That's different. If they want to work here, that's still, that's no guarantee that you should become the United States. I'll, I'll do that argument another day. But it just seems very strange to me. There's so many things that are very strange about this entire situation. They planned this attack for months. We didn't know about it. <laughs> really? You know, and now we find out this guy, Robert Malley, we have a, a, an Iranian spy 
who uh, runs this, uh, you know, Iran initiative. Uh, I'll get to that probably later on this hour, you know, but, um, you know, which, which is designed to make Iran look good. <laughs> you know, every, we have more foreign lobbyists uh, in our country than we have, I think, uh, um, much of anything else in terms of uh, foreign, you know, folk, uh, in terms of foreign, uh, you know, people that are actually, you know, probably more foreign lobbyists than we have the State Department. <laughs> That's probably a good comparison. Anyway, so, Mark, what do you think my, my One Nation solution? Israel reunifies Gaza, the Golan Heights, and the West Bank, and says, so this is Israel. This is what Israel is, okay? This is, this is what we say it is. And that, that, I mean, that's what the United States did. We, you know, the Monroe Doctrine, now that I think of it, Monroe Doctrine said it is a vital interest of the United States to main, maintain from the, the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean that the Northern Hemisphere, you know, where we are, North America, that's us. It is our vital interest to keep that American, the Monroe Doctrine. So Israel needs the equivalent of the Monroe Doctrine. Call it the Meir Doctrine, you know, for Golda Meir, or the Ben-Gurion, you know, David Ben-Gurion, you know, the Ben-Gurion Doctrine, whatever they want to call it. They need the equivalent of the Monroe Doctrine. Say, this, is, this is our land. This is our vital interest. This is biblical. This is prophecy. You know, there is no Palestine. It was an arbitrary thing created by the British, you know, for a region. It's just how they described an area that was originally Ottoman Turkey. Okay, so that's it. So how come the Turks don't take, uh, hey, these are your folks? Why don't you take the people that are calling themselves Palestinians? That's like the United States, like, like Wendy says, that's like people in the United States calling themselves Southerners. I am from the South, okay? This is where it is. But it's, it's not a nation. I mean, it tried to be, you know, during the Confederacy, but that's a different story. But uh, so, so Israel needs a Monroe Doctrine. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's never come up in conversation. All right. So what are we, what are we leading to? Let me go over some of my questions here. So why did Hamas attack such a violent and, in, in such a violent and brutal fashion and take videos and pictures knowing Israel would invade? Next question I wrote down. Why has Hamas not made any specific demands like with most other terrorist actions? Okay, here's the thing, too. So this, this is my next question. Why, did, why has Hamas not made any specific demands? Okay, most times terrorists say, we are going to attack you unless you do X. Yes, they want Israel destroyed. Everybody knows that. It's in the Constitution. But that, that's a general thing. So, so did they, you know, is this in retaliation for anything? We are attacking Israel because Israel did X. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think of anything. Uh, nothing comes to mind. You know, I mean, they just hate Israel and they just attack. So, so there's, no, there's no direct connection. It's like when Israel retaliates when a school bus full of children gets blown up. Okay, Israel retaliates. This is in retaliation for you blowing up our, our school bus. Okay. So Israel is retaliating now for, their, for the invasion by Hamas. But why didn't Hamas do it? And why now? Why on Yom Kippur? Why 50 years to the day, practically, from the Yom Kippur War? Interesting. <laughs> you know, the 73 War, I guess, or 72, 73. You know, whatever it is. So, so this, is, this is quite, uh, I mean, everything's symbolic. So why? What were the demands? This is just a surprise attack out of nowhere. But somebody knew. This took months of planning. So it's not a surprise attack if it takes months of planning. That's like saying, oh, Pearl Harbor. We were surprised at Pearl Harbor. No, we weren't. I am convinced. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, they already had the broken code. They knew they were coming. But they let that happen so, so that we would get into World War II, and then we could join with the British and fight Hitler. That's what Pearl Harbor was for, was to get us into the war so that we could, uh, you know, bat, so that we could help Britain, <laughs> you know, and we could attack Japan. That's, that's what that was for, because a lot of people in this country didn't want to go to war, and rightly so. So, so if Japan, you know, well, I'll talk about World War II another time. Um, but, this is, but this is quite fascinating to me. That I don't remember any specific demands. Here's another one. Uh, it looks like, is, this is another point I made. It looks like Israel already had plans ready to go for invading Gaza. Yeah. So this is, this is I mean, gee, they're all set to go. 
It's like, okay, guys, we'll line up the tanks. We'll do this. Well, first of all, we tell them to evacuate. We'll do this. They've already got the plan. This was already, I mean, it's good to have contingency plans, but this looks really well organized. <laughs> you know, like they already, they're very methodical about this. Okay, it's time to, let's implement Gaza plan, you know, A to B, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, they're all set to go. This is fascinating to me. Then this is why when, so here's another, here's another factor we're probably going to talk about Friday. I wrote down why when surrounded by terrorists did not every adult Israeli have a gun? How many people were killed in Israel because of gun control and the lack of the Second Amendment for Israel? So there's a question for you. Israel purposely disarmed. I, I've heard only 1.5% of its citizens have guns and carry them. I thought everybody in Israel pretty much carried a gun. Can you imagine living in Israel and not being armed constantly? That doesn't make any sense to me, especially those that live next to Gaza, live next to Golan, or live in the West Bank. Why would you not be armed? That makes no sense to me. So now they've, now they've, uh, they've, uh, they've cut back on their restrictions. Well, it's too late now. You know, that's like Red Dawn. <laughs> you remember the Red Dawn? The Russians parachute in, the Cubans parachute in, take over town. And it'll be like saying, you know, after the invasion and, you know, half America is occupied. Okay, we're, we're sending our, our, our illegal gun control. It's too late. The time to rescind your illegal gun control is now. Hey, Netherlands, Marco, why don't you, uh, why don't you in the interest of your own personal safety, push your government to uh, get rid of all your, your gun bans? I mean, this would be a great time for people to own privately armed firearms. But any country with, with, that has a Muslim invasion, you know, with a whole bunch of Muslim immigrants that are not uh, assimilating, that are there to make their country Muslim, yeah, I mean, you know, I, w- I would ar- I'd arm, the, uh, arm the Christian population. <laughs> Let's be perfectly blunt. Christians, you better take up arms. Uh, you just, you're just better. You know, it's, it's, uh, and that will deter any aggression. If, if people know, if terrorists know that most people in a nation are armed, it's going to be a little tougher to do stuff. Anyway, so I think gun con- I've always said gun control kills. The purpose of gun control is to kill honest people by killing enough of them to make, them, to make everybody else afraid so they'll, they'll either give up their guns or depend on government or something. It's all psychology. Psychological warfare, psychological operation. So anyway, so how many Israelis were killed because they have gun restrictions? That's a question. Here's another question. Uh, I wrote down, where are the special forces, the elite? I always call them the elite. FBI hostage rescue team. So we don't have, so I in fact, they've cut back on our special forces. Now, granted, you're not supposed to say ahead of time when they're going in. That would be stupid. These are secret operations. But my question is, how come they haven't gone in and brought people out? You know, this is, this is where Trump would be saying, yeah, the, uh, the hostage rescue team brought home uh, 20 hostages today from uh, tunnels, you know, uh, between Gaza and Israel. That's what Trump would be saying at this point, because <laughs> they would have gone in and done it. OK, um, not not Brandon. Brandon wants a ceasefire. You know, Obama, Brandon, you know, the, the Obama, Brandon administration are like all for Hamas. You know, they, they, and they're still giving money. They're still, the six billion, I think, is still going to Iran. You know, as well as all the weapons they gave the Taliban you know, when they surrendered. Anyway, so this is quite fascinating. So all of our hostage rescues, I mean, hostage rescue, blah, 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 blah. what did I say? I'm not going to, oh, that was weird. Um, spoonerism, reversing words or, you know, something like that. So the FBI, which is not supposed to operate internationally, does. You know, they, they've got terrorist things all over the place. So it's really quite interesting. It's, it's, it's how this is all working out. Anyway, so that's the question. So we have special forces, right? Now, was there a stand-down order like there was at Benghazi? I know there were stand-down orders. I got two calls from military people confirming that there were stand-down orders. That's why we didn't rescue our people in Benghazi. 
All right. So why aren't we rescuing our citizens here? How come the media isn't screaming? 27 hostages need to come out. Well, I think we've lost 27 people. So how many, American, how many Americans are being held hostage? And why don't they know that? And where are the efforts to get them out? That, the press should be screaming. Hey, when are the Americans coming out? What's going on? What are you doing with our people? Not doing that because it's group thing. They don't care. The group is what's important, not the individual. Huh. Here's another question. What is the FBI, DOJ, KGB, which I basically call the same thing, doing to infiltrate Islamic terrorist groups in this country? Or are they considered friends and America first patriots are the real enemy? So it's, it's, you know, there's, a, there's a meme going around in which I post on my Facebook page, which I'm still under restriction, by the way, but I don't care. I'm still doing stuff, right? And so it, it talks about the FBI. So an FBI agent goes to a, uh, an Antifa and uh, a Black Lives Matter rally where property is being destroyed. It's a riot, right? So you, get, so you get a BLM Antifa riot going on. And, and the FBI comes up and says, have you seen any MAGA Republicans here? <laughs> it's really kind of funny, but, but it's kind of tragic, too. Oh, I think Marco just typed in a comment. So, so Marco's, uh, yeah, slight interruption there. Okay, back to the show. So there's a question. So, so we have an FBI, and we have a DOJ. We have a uh, basically what I call the, KG, the FBI KGB. We have 17 intelligence agencies. Has anybody reported on any uh, of the uh, Islamic terrorist groups in this country? Where, where's the Southern Poverty Law Center that's always there, you know, for a quote, an American militia group that wants, oh, my God, the Constitution to be enforced. Oh, no, the Declaration of Independence to be honored. You know, the Bill of Rights to, uh, to be enforced. Now, they consider that terrorism. <laughs> you know, when the Bill of Rights is a terrorist document, you know that the government's really screwed up. And, of course, they're illegal, so that's why they do it. But uh, nothing's coming out. Nothing's coming out of our intelligence agencies about potential threats in this country. Go armed, everybody. Go armed. Everywhere you go, go armed. Just, just do it. Now, in the leftist states, you can't do that, so they're going to be the targets. Okay, so let, let me be really cynical, and hopefully I'm wrong, but if you were a terrorist, where would you, we should do a show on that just to, just to scare people. If you were a terrorist, what targets would you attack? Well, you'd attack the targets where people don't have guns. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, you know. Oh, here we go. So Marco says, oh, Biden is sending the stormtroopers to the Trump supporter. Now, uh, how would you uh, not call that fascism? Well, I do call it fascism. You know, Obama, Brandon are fascists, fascists, leftists. What are Nazis? Leftists. What are communists? Leftists. What are socialists? Leftists. They're all for totalitarian government. <clears throat> so the idea that, that uh, communists are left and Nazis are right is insane. You know, because you don't see the Nazis, you know, preaching what, uh, what conservatives preach, which is less government, lower taxes, individual rights. God gives us our rights and government needs to be smaller and live by the Constitution. That does not sound like the Nazi platform to me, which is totalitarian government, totalitarian control of media, the final solution killing all the Jews. That's, the, that's the, the Nazi policy. So you can't equate the two. So it's really funny. So fascism, fascisti, you know, like uh, the, the, the Italian for, you know, a bundle of sticks together. In other words, an individual stick can be broken, but you tie a bunch of them together, it gets pretty strong. Well, that's, that's the literal fascist, you know, symbol, right? And so you had fascism under Mussolini. We actually went over Mussolini's document describing Italian fascism. Everything's for the state. The state is the only thing that exists. The individual does not exist. That's fascism, right? From, from, uh, from uh, Mussolini's own document. And we, we did this a couple of years ago. I can do it again. But, that's, but, but the difference between fascism, Nazism, communism, and socialism are minuscule. I think the, the degree of government violence is probably the difference. 
Socialism in Italy, I have not seen create violent governments. But the others have. <laughs> Communism, Nazism, fascism, yeah, they did. So three out of four of the, the leftist isms kill millions of people. And one out of four of them it just takes all their money and property. <laughs> so it's really different. All right. Let's get back to my multiple. I haven't gotten to my article, the, the main thing I wanted to talk about. So this is interesting. So let's see. Uh, so, all right. So here's the thing. You know, our Obama-Biden, which I consider the same government, still planning to give Iranian, you know, Iranians nuclear weapons and billions of dollars. So as much as, as Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, former aide to uh, Brandon, uh, is talking about we're with Israel. We support Israel. We're right behind Israel. They, they still haven't answered the question of the $6 billion. Not a, not a single reporter has asked uh, Blinken, hey, Blinken, are you still giving $6 billion in nuclear weapons to Iran so they can destroy Israel? Why are you talking about being friends of Israel? I mean, that's the question. No one's asking it. Now, here's another thing, too. So the, the Chinese, the, the, the thing I'll be getting to here in just a little bit is that there's a Chinese uh, high-level intelligence official said that the United, you know, in order for China to, to win uh, a war with the United States, the United, they, they want to give us four enemies. So we're so distracted and so depleted in arms and so demoralized and so confused that China could actually beat us militarily. So that's the plan. That's the four, the four nation plan. The four put us at war with four different groups, one of which is a terrorist group. Hey, what a surprise. You know, and uh, then we'll be weak enough that China can actually beat us in a war because they don't think they can otherwise. Well, you can't beat the United States in a war anyway because you can't invade by land because we'll kill you. <laughs> you, know, you know, there are millions of Americans with millions of guns and billions of rounds of ammunition. There's no way that another nation can occupy the United States. You can't do it. Can you nuke the United States? Sure. You know, those of us with our, with our 45s cannot defend against a nuclear bomb or a nuclear missile. We can't do that, but we can defend against an occupying army. Who's going to occupy the United States? Nobody. Well, maybe certain parts of it, California, Michigan, you know, Illinois, uh, Massachusetts, you know, New York, you know, those states that have guns, Oregon, those states might get occupied. Do you think anybody's going to occupy Georgia or Texas or Florida or South Carolina, Arkansas, Tennessee? Hell no. You know, you're not going to occupy those states. We're going to kill you. If, if an invading army, you know, comes into Well, of course, we do have an invading army. Those are illegal aliens. That's a different story. That's, that's a secret army, which is why they did it that way. But if an invading army came to the United States in uniform, this is why the Japanese never invaded the United States, because they knew better. They knew that they'd be killed on the beaches, because every, every Californian, Oregonian, and Washingtonian with a gun, plus all the folks in Arizona, Nevada, you know, Wyoming, <laughs> you know, North and South Dakota, New Mexico... Texas, they'd be on the California border too. They'd be on the, on the you know, we'd, we'd all be there with our guns. You can't invade this country. You can't hold it because everybody has a gun. Same thing with Switzerland. Why did Switzerland not invaded by the Nazis? Oh, because they were neutral, Greg. That's BS. The Nazis didn't invade because Switzerland has two things that they couldn't defeat. Mountains. <laughs> and everybody had a gun. <laughs> so, and they knew that. You know, and so uh, Switzerland hasn't been invaded in over 400 years because they have mountains. And the people are armed. Why the people of Israel were not armed, I don't know. That to me is just is just stupid. So let's get back to the let's get back to the war in Ukraine. You, you know the one you haven't heard about since October seventh. So that to me is fascinating. All right. So the war uh, that everybody was talking about, you know, that, that Brandon was specifically uh, going over constantly. That uh, we we need a billion, one hundred and eighty, one hundred fifty billion dollars have gone to uh, Ukraine in like the last year and a half. $187 billion is the total commitment for Israel you know, for like all of their existence. 
So we've given almost as much money to Ukraine in the last year and a half as we've given to Israel in total. That's a staggering figure. Too. Anyway, so uh, as the Chinese say, you know, the United States can only handle one war at a time. <laughs> Otherwise, they get distracted and confused. And so that's why Ukraine is off the, the thing. And that's very Orwellian. George Orwell says you always have to have an enemy. But I don't know if he said you can't have more than one. But uh, it seems like the press can only focus on one war. And the minute Hamas invaded Israel in the most barbaric fashion possible, uh, Ukraine got forgotten. So what's Ukraine doing right now? How many people are being killed by Ukraine? What's Russia doing? What's, what's, uh, what's uh, Zelensky doing? Is he even there or is he on the, is he on the, the French Riviera, you know, eating, uh, you know, escargot? I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows because they're not reporting it. So this would be a great time to report on Ukraine. I got to Josie and I said, Josie, what's going on in Ukraine? Because nobody's reporting on it. Because we only have one war at a time. So this is where it gets interesting. All right, here we go. Here's the last thing I wrote. Uh, and I was wondering, and I said, uh, are Black Lives Matter, BLM, uh, and Antifa, and all the other U.S. leftist groups jealous that the real victims in Israel have taken their false victim spotlight away? So Antifa, oh, we're victims. Black Lives Matter, we're victims, as they live in, you know, multi-million dollar mansions. You know, the, the, all the leftist groups, we're the victims in this country of oppression and racism, and uh, this is a racist country. And all of a sudden, the spotlight's all on the Israelis who've been killed in the most barbaric fashion. And our leftists, what are they going to do? Oh, uh, maybe in his, uh, here we go. So Marco says, maybe in his multi-million home in Miami. So, so, uh, so who he? Because I know the, the, there's a woman in uh, Black Lives Matter who has a mass, actually has a couple of mansions. Well, I think one in Florida, one in, uh, Calif- one in California. So there you go. There's, there's where all, your, all, all those woke con, you know, companies that were contributing to Black Lives Matter, where'd the money go? Mansions. Because, you know, that, that's, how you, that's how you show that you, you don't want black people to, to be oppressed. You, you give the leaders, you know, the corrupt leaders, a huge amount of money. Fascinating. All right. Do, and I want that website. That's, that's one of the ones. I, all right, that's not the one I want. Let me get the website I do want. Let's get into the main topic of the show here, which is Joseph, um, no, Joshua Phillip. So here's a, a website I found called Timcast, T-M-C-S-T. And it says, China, hell, is China attempting to draw U.S. into four separate wars? One with a terrorist group. So this is a theory. And my theory, it comes right from, uh, from one of the Chinese communists uh, themselves. Uh, let's see, Marco has a comment here. Let me get his. And I'll do two things at once, so I'm going to have to block you off while I'm reading the article. He says, I uh, was talking about Zelensky. He has property all over the world, including uh, in the KRIM, that would be Crimea. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is breaking. I need a source on this, and I'll copy it. He's saying Zelensky has property in Crimea. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? Zelensky is a grifter. You know, that's what they're accusing. Uh, I forgot who they also accused of being a grifter, but wrongly. But, uh, he's, a, he's a criminal. Zelensky, a former comedian, you know, uh, uh, fond of, of uh, symbolizing his man playing the piano and other things. Uh, you know, they picked that guy. <laughs> what would be the U.S. equivalent of, of Zelensky running this country? Who looks like a really awful entertainer? Um, who, who would be, I'm trying to think who is, who'd be daring and stupid enough. Nobody comes to mind right now, but, uh, just think of a, of an awful entertainer, you know, uh, not a clever one, but just a terrible one. You know, uh, I mean, we, we'd be better off if, if George Carlin were president, speaking of comics, that would be brilliant. Anyway, so Zelensky has property in crime. That's hysterical. I gotta write that down. 
Zelensky. We should get a, a picture of his home, actually. Zelensky has property. So all those American tax dollars, they're going to, you know, so he's got property in the place that uh, Russia is controlling right now. 20 minutes left before Jonathan is here, so let me, uh, let me focus on this one. Marco, stand by. Or you can, you can type things. I'd, I'll just have to look at them a little bit. Published October 11, 2023 by Adrian Norman. Again, it takes uh, a lot of subscriptions to get to Epic Times, so I got other sources like this. And he says, experts claim that CCP, that is the Chinese Communist Party, may have played a role in the recent Hamas attack against Israel. What do you mean may? Noting that China formed a strategic alliance with Palestine, which is the relevant one, months before the assault. So, again, Russia is being used as a scapegoat. Russia is the hoax. Okay? This is not a Russian operation. This is a Chinese-Iranian operation. So then the question comes up, how is Iran? Uh, working together. Well, they've got a 25-year industrial cooperative strategic uh, agreement they signed. So they're working together quickly. Isn't that interesting? Against the United States. Well, here's what he says. He says, the world is still reeling from grotesque images and video from Israel where members of the Islamist militant group Hamas, not to be confused with Hamas, but Hamas, recently unleashed an attack that resulted in the deaths of more than 900 Israelis. This is two days old. All right. I think it's like 1,200 now. 27 America, October 11th. This is today is October 16th, so five days ago. It's amazing how much can happen in five days. Article there remains widespread speculation as to whether other organizations or government played a role in the facilitation of the operation. However, one possibility under consideration is that the Hamas attack is part of a widespread effort by China. One more time, China. Third time, China to catastrophically weaken the United States by driving America into multiple simultaneous conflicts. See, the only reason that for Hamas to have done exactly what they did was to cause Israel to go to war, because <clears throat> they knew they would. The, the weird part of it is, is if Israeli, Israel didn't go to war. That would be strange. And I, w- I would not recommend that, but the saying that would have been uncharacteristic. And if you watch the video, I post the video on my page. So you go to uh, Joshua Phelps' video, and he's talking about Sun Tzu. Okay, Sun Tzu, one of my favorite people, this is a forest deception. I, I always keep my Sun Tzu quotes handy, you can never know. So what Sun Tzu said, the way that the rest of the world fights, because uh, they study Sun Tzu, especially the Chinese, the way the Chinese fight, and here's a quote, appear weak when you are strong and strong when you are weak. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, come in every battle. Pretty much describes the current uh, uh, Brandon insurrection. Sun Tzu said, let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night. And when you move, fall like a thunderbolt, which is the exact opposite of the plan that, of the, the assessment that came out of Congress of all our weak points. Stupid. Dumb. Then it says, he says, supreme excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. This is what China's doing. It's all strategic. It's all chess. To them, it's all chess. All right? If they can beat us without having to go to war, great. Love it. We're really happy. You know, we don't see anything unless it is a war. It's the people that run our country. First of all, it's a, the people running our country are, are, are illegal running our country. Uh, secondly, the, the, they're completely idiot. They're complete idiots. All right, so let's get back to, uh, get back to the, uh, the article here. So he says, Chinese Communist Party officials are planning a major war against the United States, 
according to investigative reporter and East Asia expert Joshua Phillip. He's the one for the Epic Times. And he does, a, he does a thing called Crossroads, which I highly recommend watching. I've been watching a bunch of them. The guy's brilliant. I want to get him on the show if I can. Anyway, he says, as he stated in a recent video, the CCP is planning to drop the U.S. into four separate conflicts. And here's the quote. And they believe at least one of these needs to be a terrorist organization. It is possible that Hamas could be that group. So think about that. Think about this in terms of a strategic chess move to get us to weaken us so that China can defeat us in a war. That's what might be behind this. Because there's no reason for Hamas to do this. They knew they were going to get retaliated against. So why would you do this? This is, you know, unless it's a, it's like sacrificing, you know, one of your pieces, you know, to get the queen. That's what this is. It's like sacrificing a bishop to get the queen, if you, if you want to put it in chess terminology. Then he says the most important piece, oh, that's interesting, connecting China to Hamas, Philip says, is that in June of this year, CCP leader Xi Jinping personally met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas and announced the establishment of a China-Palestine strategic partnership. Now, why would China partner with uh, a group that uh, officially doesn't have a country? that are a bunch of Ottoman Turk refugees from uh, after World War I. Why would they do that? Well, because they hate Israel. You know, and they want Iran to be the, the nuclear power center. That's why China's partnering up with Iran. So if China, China believes that Iran and uh, the Arab world, the terrorists, are going to control the Middle East, they think Israel, you know, because uh, uh, they're tied to the United States and they're trying to defeat us. They know that if they attack Israel, we will come to the aid of Israel, and that will weaken us. So that China can attack us, if that's what the goal is. Think about it. Who, you know, if we spend billions on Ukraine. We have no connection to Ukraine. They're part of NATO. They're Eastern European country. It's an Eastern European problem. It's got nothing to do with us, you know, any more than Afghanistan or Iraq did. Then the article says China hosted the meeting as part of its push to expand its influence in the Middle East. The visit during which Xi, that's Xi Jinping, last name's first in China, everything's backwards said China and Palestinians were, quote, good friends and good partners. Palestinians? This is some of the most warlike people on the planet who've been abandoned by the Arab world, you know, whose only purpose, it seems, is to terrorize Israel. And Israel's stupid enough to give them land to, um, from which to do it. Why would China pal, you know, partner with, quote, Palestinians? What would China get? They're not going to get technology. They're not going to get resources. They're not going to get products. They're not going to get oil. They're not going to get food. They're not going to get anything from China. So why would they do it? Well, because it gives them leverage in the Middle East, right? Then the article says, following Hamas' recent attack against Israel, China called for a ceasefire. Well, so did our you know, illegal government. Which did so they're calling for a ceasefire after Hamas has already attacked. That'd be like calling for a ceasefire against Japan after Pearl Harbor. Oh, time for a ceasefire. And, uh, that, and Obama probably would have done that. <laughs> you know, if Obama was alive you know, during Pearl Harbor, he would have called for a ceasefire. You know, I'm sorry they attacked us. It's a tragic loss of life, but uh, you know, in, the, in the interest of peace, we better have a ceasefire with Japan. I don't think so. Huh. This is following Hamas' recent attack. All right, ceasefire, right? This is the fundamental way out of the conflict lies in implementing the two-state solution and establishing an independent state of Palestine. Okay? That's what China says. China says the same thing as our communists and our government, you know, the Obama-Brandon government, says the same thing. The fundamental way out of this conflict lies in implementing a two-state solution and establishing an independent state of Palestine. Okay, Palestine is a region, not a country. Israel is a country, not a state. Let's start using proper language. So I've got to start doing that. So anybody that calls the show, if you don't say the nation of Israel or the country of Israel, i got a problem. It's not a state. Texas is a state. 
the United States is a country. Big difference. Of course, Texas wants to be a country, but that's probably a bad example. Uh, Kansas. <laughs> Kansas is a state. All right. The United States is a country. Get the difference? The article says the overall strategy behind splitting U.S. attention between multiple conflicts, as Philip explained, is to weaponize America's free and open society against it, as outlined in a speech given by Xi's top advisor. And here's the bad guy, Jin Canrong, J-I-N-C-A-N-R-O-N-G, Jin Canrong. So who's Jin Canrong? I've never heard of this guy, all right? So this is all new to me. Now, I just started this like, like, like last Thursday or Friday. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. So, so in other words, it is so the conflict, so the conflicts are to weaponize America's free and open society. All right. So, in other words, the United States wants to do good. You know, was it Alex de Tocqueville writing about democracy in America? Said America is great because America is good. Well, good people help other people, right? That's what we do, <clears throat> except when we're helping the wrong people because we're created by an illegal communist government an illegal communist Muslim government of Obama, of Obama Biden. That's another story. So let's, let's see what he says. So here's what this Chinese leader says. And this is the part I want to get to before uh, Jonathan comes up. So the Chinese quote, quote from Jin Camrong, who is head of uh, uh, international relations department in some uni- huge university in China. Maybe it'll say down lower where it is, but I got that from another source. So Jin Camrong says, of course, we could have other evil tactics such as furthering the chaos of the world. But the problem with the United States is that it is truly diverse. Among Western countries, the U.S. enjoys the highest degree of democracy. He says that like it's a problem. Well, of course, we're, we're, that actually is a problem. We're a republic, but that, we'll, we'll talk about that later. The U, he says the U.S. enjoys the highest degree of democracy. Of course, diversity has one advantage. The people have freedom, such as freedom of speech, but it comes with disadvantages too. It is very difficult for the people to come to a consensus. Well, we like that. We don't have, you know, uh, it's easy to come to a consensus in a communist country. They tell you what to say and what to think. That's easy. It's not good, but it's easy. Then the leader, says, Chinese guy, Jin Camrong, says the best scenario for the U.S. is that it has a very clear external enemy. If there are two enemies, the United States will lose its focus. This is very interesting, okay? And there's another paragraph coming up in a second. But you'll notice how fast Ukraine dropped from all the news reports, all the news reports, as soon as uh, Hamas attacked Israel. I mean, Ukraine was gone. Why? Because we could only, we, we were only built to focus on one war at a time. That's why during Iraq and Afghanistan, it was very confusing for people. Well, what's our war? Is it Iraq or Afghanistan? So they turned off the Iraq war and turned up the Afghanistan war. One, one enemy. Vietnam. Damn, we got to go settle that country. We're going to beat the North Vietnamese and we're going to make peace there. <laughs> really? North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese are the same people. Same thing with the North Koreans and the South Koreans. They're the same people. Same thing with the East Germans and the West Germans. They're the same people. You know? So dividing nations. Same, no, so, which means, is, uh, you know, when we reunify Germany, actually, we unify Germany. Uh, we need to, to unify or reunify Gaza, Golan, and the West Bank into Israel. That's the solution. Let's go back to the Chinese leader. So then he says, so if there's one, if it says if the, there are two enemies, the United States will lose focus. And then he says, this was the situation before World War II. There were two enemies, one Nazi Germany and the other, the Red Scare, the Soviet Union. He says, because of that, the U.S. started fighting internally even before the war began. 
Now, if there were three elements, external enemies for the U.S., you could see how that would be a mess, let alone four. So China's strategic goal, and this is right from China. This is, this is, this is like anti-Sun Tzu. This is like giving away the store, people. But he, he wasn't talking to us. He was, I think he was talking to uh, fellow Chinese. But he says, China's strategic goal is to make sure that the U.S. has four enemies, and one of them must be a terrorist group. Russia is like one, but that's not enough. Four enemies. That's the goal of China, to give us four enemies. I don't know, uh, a war in Taiwan, a war in Ukraine, a terrorist war with Hamas. Where's the fourth one? No, we've already got that with Ukraine. So we've got Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan potentially. Where's the fourth one? Well, Israel would be Hamas. That'd be the terrorist war. Where's the fourth one? How are they going to come up with the fourth war? Who, who, you know, North Korea. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So, uh, so that's what they're saying. So I just, like I say, I just find this all quite fascinating. Article says, during an interview with Timcast News, Phillips said he believes that the CCP was involved in the Hamas attack as part of a wider effort to draw the U.S. into another war. So who wants this in a war? The military-industrial complex deep state. Haley, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, Lindsey Graham. We have to go attack Iran. We need another war. Idiots. No, we don't. We don't need another war. But the deep state globalist multi uh, military industrial complex banking you know, consortium, uh, the people that make money off war, they're all set. We've got to go invade Iran. What, are you insane, you people? Invade Iran? There's 90 million people armed to the teeth, and Obama gave them nuclear weapons. How to invade Iran? Idiots. Now, what you do with Iran is you affect them economically. You cut off their oil, do all kinds of things like that. Israel might invade Iran. But, uh, but the thing is, if they're funding terrorists with money from the U.S., then the quickest way to stop Iran is to stop funding them. But they don't want to do that because the Obama-Brandon you know, Muslim extremist insurrection wants Iran to be the, nu- the power in the Middle East. It's insane. That's like saying Europe would be more stable if Nazi Germany takes over. That's pretty much the same thing. Now, I've got Jonathan in the line who's, who's listening intently. <laughs> I'll get to you in just a little bit here. I want to finish this article. So he says, during an interview with Timcast News, Philip, that's Joshua Philip of Epoch Times, said he believes that the CCP was involved in the Hamas attack as part of a wider effort to drive the U.S. into another war. And that's what all the, the neocons in Congress are doing. They're doing their level best to get us in another war. See, you, see Ukraine's kind of lost. And I wonder if that's part of the timing here. There's something I'll ask Jonathan. So, so the Ukraine war was going so badly that we seem to have lost interest. You know, and, it, and it's like as soon as uh, the, the, the neocons realized that no matter how much money we gave Ukraine, they were never going to beat Russia. Uh, that war seems to have uh, dropped off the radar screen. Kind of fascinating, huh? So this is all about money. They don't care how many lives they lose. They don't care how many tanks are blown up. They don't care anything. They don't know how much land is lost or weed is burnt in the grain fields of Ukraine. All they care about is making money off the war. Well, when, when it was clear that Russia was going to win this, there's no point in putting more money in it. You know, let's put it somewhere else. Oh, I don't know. Let's go to war with Iran. Until we start losing. Then we'll go find somebody else. It's, it's fascinating. Anyway, it says uh, Jonathan, uh, excuse me, Joshua Phillips says, I think the CCP was one of the main forces, you know, Iran definitely, and probably North Korea as well. He explained, why would they do it? Okay, so here we go. Now we're going into good stuff. He says, Iran has denied involvement in the attack through intelligence experts suggest Iran is lying, <laughs> noting that it is the world's top state sponsor of terrorism. Oh, boy which it executes through proxies to maintain plausible deniability, except that it's not plausible. 
Everybody knows Iran funded Hamas. Everybody knows Hamas attacked Israel. Everybody knows Israel is going to retaliate. And so everything's going according to a plan. The question is, what's the plan? That's the only real question here. We, everybody's doing exactly what they're expected to do, given the circumstances. So then he says, other reporting has shown, this is the author of this article, uh, he says, other reporting has shown that North Korean arms have been found in the inventory of weapons Hamas fired on Israelis. Well, I'm sure they've got a mixture of North Korean arms. They've got all the stuff that, that we surrendered to the Taliban under the Obama-Brandon you know, uh, surrender. So that makes sense. This, is, this claim is verified by unnamed explosive ordnance disposal, EOD, specialist who spoke with Tim Cass News. Unnamed? <laughs> yeah. How can you not know who they are? Anyway, then he says, despite the perception of, that North Korea's military is largely irrelevant, Pyongyang, Pyongyang has been one of the world's leading arms exporters. So how, North Korea, one of the poorest countries in the world where people eat tree bark to survive, is an arms exporter. Think about that. How do they get the arms? How do they get nuclear weapons? Bill Clinton gave them to them in the form of power plants. What do power plants do? They allow for the enrichment of uranium. What does that do? It creates nuclear bombs. So basically, Bill Clinton gave nukes to North Korea. You know, Barack Obama gave nukes to Iran. Brilliant. Great. The worst possible things they could have done because they hate the United States. Then the article says, in the weeks prior to Hamas attack, North Korea sold weapons to several Middle East countries, including Iran, Syria, Egypt, and Qatar. What's Qatar got to do with this? Well, like we said before, that's where Hamas uh, leadership lives on, you know, uh, high on the hog. Egypt, why would Egypt need weapons? Well, isn't that interesting? Egypt borders Gaza. Is Egypt going to go into Gaza and save it? Mm, I don't think so. Syria, hmm. What does Syria control? The Golan Heights, <laughs> you know. What does Iran control? You know, nukes and, uh, and they're funding Hamas. So, uh, so of course, they, they sold weapons to those countries, right? Then Philip continues. He says, if Hamas wanted to overthrow Israel, they wouldn't do it like this. You don't grab a bunch of hostages and run back to your house if you don't want to have a hostage situation. They wanted to, to lure Israel into this. The question is, why did they want to lure them into it? I think it's because they're trying to spark a global terror threat. Again, I think they want, to, they want all the proxy forces of Hamas, of Hezbollah, and all the far-left groups, I would say in this country too, tied into the global terror movement to see the imagery of this. And they're going to link it with Israel and possibly the United States, even Europe, and they're going to start launching terrorist attacks again. Philip explained that this all plays into the CCP's four wars agenda because China needs the U.S. so committed to a multiple global military intervention system that it will be unable to intervene when China moves to retake Taiwan. So there you go. There you go. I don't think we're going to move to stop China anyway. Last of this, Jonathan, he says, if they invade Taiwan, they can't take the brunt of the U.S. reaction. They need America focused on Russia. See, Russia keeps coming out. Russia's, I think Russia has very little to do with this. Russia has its own problems, right? Uh, but they keep blaming Russia. I heard that on Newsmax. Well, what does Russia have to do with this? Well, you stupid idiot. Nothing. Look at China. Look at Iran. And look at the, uh, the Obama-Brandon government. Illegal government. That's where the problem is. Then he says they need America focused on Russia. They need America focused on terror threats. They need America focused on the drug cartels or something in Latin America. Gee, I don't know. Who's in Latin America? Hezbollah. Hezbollah is, you know, you know, based in Syria in the Golan Heights launching rockets at Israel right now. Hmm. All the pieces start to fit. 
Then he says, three days after the attack, Hamas called for global jihad, telling the Muslims around the world to target Jewish people and their supporters on Friday, October 13th. Friday the 13th. Good timing. Very symbolic. Now, what do we have in this country? A large Jewish population, usually liberal, uh, not always in favor of Israel. What else do we have now? 15 million illegal aliens. What a coincidence. How many of those are Muslim? How many of those are terrorists? How many of those hate the United States? Don't know. Nobody knows. That's the problem. All right. At that note, I actually finished on time. I can't believe it. So let me get to uh, Jonathan's uh, theme here and see if I can find it. I keep forgetting whether I put it on Jonathan or Mosley. I think it's on Mosley. <laughs> we'll find it in a minute. And, and, uh, and, ah, here we go. Let's get to Jonathan and he, see what he thinks of what I just uh, described. What is the law? Are we under the rule of law? Does that mean those who make the laws rule us? Aren't we under the consent of we the people, where we write the laws we consent to be governed by and rule the government? Who is the law? Is it the Supreme Court, the President, the Congress, the states? Can you take the law into your own hands? Is there any time the law isn't in your own hands? In a country under a coup d'etat and a stolen government, there is no law. But there are a whole bunch of things being done in the name of law. And now, with this state of confusion and contradiction, let's try to find a way out together by using the law. Because if our government of the people, by the people, and for the people means anything, it means we the people are the law. And now to try and make some sense of all this and use the law as it was meant to be used to find our way back to freedom, it's time now for The Legal Report with Jonathan Mosley. Yeah, a little off track, but I think it's worth a diversion to sort of get into this and, and figure out, you know, is this a real strategy and how do all the illegals play into it and everything else is happening. Jonathan, <coughs> what do you think of uh, my, my, my chat so far? <coughs> well, I checked in uh, a little bit at the end there just to keep an eye on you and not to, not to be too early. Uh, but, um, no, big stuff. I mean, us get distracted. What, what are you talking about? Uh, that, um, <laughs> we, that being, being, uh, what, what did you say? What did you call it? Uh, get, getting off track is our superpower, as they say. Oh, it is. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. anyway, so, uh-huh. uh, uh, no, it's, uh, it's very disturbing. I, um, you know, motivated by some of these things, I found myself looking up, um, and Frank, and hmm. uh, uh, there was a there's a Hulu series. I hadn't, you know, there, there's the movie about Anne Frank, but apparently there's a mini, like a mini series about everybody else around her. You know what mm-hmm. was going on outside, and that, where they were trying to do the things, and it's uh, um, it's very scary. Um, you know, I think uh, the F, I'll you know I, I posted on my Facebook because. You know, there's a meme on Facebook <clears throat> about a guy laughing and an FBI agent laughing, both looking at their laptop. And it says, it says my, uh, you know, uh, a picture of my FBI agent, you know, watching me make memes, knowing that I know he's watching my memes and he's like, <laughs> you know, watch it. And so they're both, they're both like laughing. Um, so um, anyway, you should so share that with our comedy group. Yeah. That'd, that'd be a good comedy. Group uh, yeah, I should. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, yeah. the thing, 
the thing is, is that they get to the point where um, I figure they need to know it, but I think we've gotten to the point where, uh, you know, the, the FBI has become uh, the people they were supposed to be protecting us against. Hmm. And, uh, we have met the enemy uh, and he is us, Pogo. Remember Pogo? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly Oh, that yeah, my famous, brother used uh, to love Pogo. That was the famous panel, was that we have met the enemy and he is us. So the FBI have become the domestic terrorist force. They've become the KGB. they become internal security. Now, the question is, is, here's a question for you. Is the FBI recruiting you know, Islamic terrorists to stage acts of terrorism against this country and then blame uh, you know, Republicans, militia people, America first, MAGA, things like that? Are they going to do a Reichstag fire? How's that for a question? Well, I don't know if I would put that at the FBI's door. Remember, when we talk about, like, people say, well, Ray Epps, you know, people deny that he's working for the FBI. I mean, why are you, why are you making laughable. us so specific? Yeah. It's like, it's like saying, were you, you know, were you driving away at high speed, you know, from the bank robbery? It's like, mm-hmm. I was not driving a green car with, uh, you know, with a, a, a missing tail light running at high speed weight from the bank robbery, but why are you being so specific? You know, what, why, why do you, you know, why do you, you know, we ask you who is Ray Epps? And he says, Oh, he was definitely not working for the FBI. <laughs> oh, who was he working for then? It's, it's um, like the advanced <clears throat> denial. There's, there's a psychological word for this, I'm sure, because they're denying things that they already know are true. And, and they're so focused on the things that they know are true that they want to hide, that they actually reveal them by mistake. Exactly. There is a, there is, okay. There's a, there's a great Facebook uh, video, and really, I, you know, someone should do an intervention and get me away from the cat videos. But, um, <laughs> but the, um, there, there's, that's not there's my problem, mother. You'll have to deal with that There's one. Mother, mother who plays, she's, she's a better journalist than most journalists. Uh-huh. And, and she, you know, she does these fake news reports um, using, like, fake microphones, like a, you know, like a shampoo bottle or something like that. Who is that? But she... But she, she she sounds better than um, than most journalists in doing it. So she reports on the on the uh, um, <clears throat> the brown liquid on you know in the uh, in the den, and and she says that the uh, the four year old you know when asked about you know we we weren't you told not to take the chocolate milk out of the kitchen, you know the the four year old says I I did not take my chocolate milk into the den, mommy, um, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing, you know, which, which, which the woman says will be used at his upcoming trial. Um, the, the, the very specific, you know, the, the very specific thing. So, so yes, it's, and, and there's some, there's some uh, news there that I think needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm supposed to be talking about the difference between, you know, the intersection of politics and law, but how can you, Ignore all that's going on. This is this is, is going to affect us because you know I mean uh, what 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 suppression of laws are they going to do? Are they going to start saying are they going to have extra gun control laws? Even though I think everybody should be armed right now, uh, I think everybody should be armed anyway, but especially now, you know. And so so what measure of repression is going to come from this? There is a legal aspect, and there's also the question too of the, <clears throat> the, the, the Gaza Act, which uh, we, we, we I want to talk about that too. Did you read that? The Republicans have preemptively said that uh, Obama Brandon can't bring in a bunch of Palestinians like they brought in 100,000 Afghanis, you know, to sort of water down our country. 
Well, that's true, and that's good. It, it is it is a problematic thing because um, we we do need to get um, the uh, um, you know the the, the um, um, you know we need we need to to get uh, to get the these things because somehow mm-hmm. somehow the world you know if there was a, a if we still had anything like a civilization um, needs to get uh, the 2 million people that live in Gaza. I mean, we do have to separate the, um, the civilians from the terrorists. Uh, Some people will say there's no difference, Uh, but, but something needs to happen. But there's a difference. There's just no division of territory. It's like uh, you know, Viet Cong and, uh, you know, store owners in Vietnam. You can tell who, who well, are the store owners and who are the Viet Cong, you know, like, you know. There are people that argue it's worse than that in, in, in the Palestinian territories, that, that, that everybody Probably. is raised from birth to be part of the, part of the gang. But, <clears throat> but the thing is, we realize that um, when you talk about the law, um, like everything else these days, the law has simply become another con. Um, it, it's another, you know, it's an, it's another scam to do things that are completely lawless while fooling the, uh, you know, f- fooling the, um, I don't know what the right, best word is, but the, the serfs, um, you know, that's keeping keeping the American people um, confused and, and lying about it. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's very it's very disturbing, and I'll take a I'll take a a detour here as sort of an example. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've noticed that um, one of the uh, one of the victims on Epstein's island, um, you know, who, who testified against Ghislaine Maxwell, she mm-hmm. died. Hmm. She, her, yeah, I've heard a little bit. Her, don't know the story. Tell me more. What's going on? Her husband, and they've named her. I guess. Well, actually, they really shouldn't because um, I guess I won't because. Although she's dead, her children and, <clears throat> and husband are, are alive. So, um, but well, they, she has a different name than her husband, but still. Um, no, that's they, okay. Uh, but tell me the story. Tell me the story. Without they the have. Name. Um, so, so she, um, she got. She's married now. Um, she says she, you know, she was a victim when she was like twelve, and um, but she's married now has what is it three or five children where is that um the, i can't find was it. she a public so victim a, was uh five children, there, yeah, there, five there's children. A, there's a picture with prince andrew and uh you know like a blonde teenager um is yeah, that who we're talking about that's, that's a different victims? one and i would i would, she has gone public and i would name her except i'm not very good with names um but um but but no, this one she had five. You know, subsequent to this abuse, mm-hmm. um, they um, she had five children and she has a husband, and they just bought a new property in North Carolina, and they, she was texting her. Um, they were texting her mother. They, she was so excited about moving to North Carolina and starting a new life, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, then she's found unresponsive in a in a um, West Palm Beach hotel. Hmm. Um, and 
you know, you start to realize that we're, and the thing is, is that, you know, one of the issues is how big of a role did Bill Clinton play in this? And of course we have, there's a guy, there's a comedian, conservative comedian who, who talks about, you know, the, the, uh, the long string of, of unfortunate deaths that, mm. uh, that all connected to Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And then he screams and then he says, allegedly, and he makes, mm-hmm. he makes a big joke about the fact that the crowd laughs and allegedly, this is because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to end up a, a victim of a one car accident. Right. And, you know, and they're going to find me like this is and they just, allegedly. So he turns allegedly into like the, the point of the joke. Um, so here, you know, this is, it's just, you start to feel like, you know, we're living in a country run by the mafia, not the mm-hmm. literal Italian mafia that we know of. No, the political mafia. The state yeah, mafia. That, that, yeah, we're, we're like, we're like the store owners, you know, in, in the streets taken over by the, by organized crime. Yeah. Protection um, rackets. We'll protect you from those enemies out there, but it's going to cost you everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but well, you better pay it or we're going to, you know, or something will happen. Something bad might happen. Yeah. And that's pretty much what you were talking about before in a fairly sophisticated way. It's oh, like, you know, you. raise your taxes and we'll protect you from these imaginary um, enemies around the world that we created mm-hmm. to scare you. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll create, we'll create the problem and then we'll protect you from the problem that we created. Well, it's fascinating. I've done this timeline before, but, uh, in 1945, the UN was created and the first thing they did was split Korea into North and South on the 38th parallel. 1950, we're at war. 1953, that, that war stops. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It just has a ceasefire. Well, what happened the next year in 1954? Vietnam was split into North and South. What a surprise. Well, the French start going in, we start going in, the war happens there for a long time. And then uh, there was like a break between 1975 and, and George Bush, the elder, you know, the, the deep state globalist who got us into Iraq, you know? And so, so, so we had, we had a little piece in there from 75 to like 80, probably like 87, 88. When did it, you know, so there's that, that 12, 13 years where we actually weren't in a major war somewhere. It was really great. The eighties were fabulous. Why? Because we weren't at war anywhere. Life was good, you know, and, and so Reagan had stupid little wars, you know, he had some, some little actions and things that were, uh, you know, fairly inconsequential, but it, it took the globalists to get us back into Iraq, Iraq one, George the elder, then, uh, then Bush the younger, Iraq two, then Afghanistan, then Ukraine, and now Israel. So we, the only peace we've really enjoyed was the end of Vietnam in 1975 through the beginning of Iraq, which is probably 88, 89, somewhere in there. That's it. Right, and these are wars that we mostly lose. Um, well, that's the point. The, uh, they're not designed to win; they're they're designed to to continue. Because if we wanted to win, right. then we could win. But the first thing, there's nothing to win. See, this is the other irony. There was nothing to win in Korea. There was nothing to win in Vietnam because those people were the North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese are the same people. They're Vietnamese. There's nothing to win. There was nothing to win in Afghanistan. Nobody wins in Afghanistan. Everybody knows that. The Russians didn't. The British didn't. We didn't. Everybody knows you don't win in Afghanistan. It's a bunch of tribal goat herders with five-year-old wives. You don't win there. It's nothing to win. So why oh, do one, one way to spend one money? Way to, Go ahead. One way to look at that is is that we, uh, well, in general, the the uh, professional nitwits um, who who infest uh, infest Washington D.C. There's a there's a scene in in Star Trek One, the the, the worst. A movie 
ever and I'm a Star Trek where 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 the robot talks about the the carbon based units who infest the enterprise well we we have we have that in Washington DC um we um the uh the um they have the spineless uh, jellyfish creatures who infest Washington DC but anyway the, the the point is that they think of, they they think about uh, war and all these issues in certain very very narrow assumptions in certain models, mm-hmm. you know more or less what you could have learned watching war movies on Sunday afternoon as a teenager <laughs> growing up, um, and, and so I the did. idea is that you, you capture the capital mm-hmm. and the rest of the country comes with it. Mm-hmm. I, I would I don't know if that's what you're alluding to, but I would riff off of what you're saying there that <clears throat> you capture the capital uh, of Afghanistan. The rest of the country doesn't come with you. There is no center of gravity. There no, is, there's there nothing is no, there. It's like capturing jellyfish. Yeah, Just like you say, you yeah. know, if you if you capture a starfish and rip off its its leg, what does it do? You don't have it. It grows a new one. <laughs> You know, so there's nothing to do there. But I, that first hour was pretty intense. I mean, I covered a lot of ground. But one, of the big, one of the biggest questions is, is, is everything's predictable? Why would Hamas go attack Israel in the most brutal fashion possible uh, and show videos? In fact, take phones. They actually took phones of people videotaped their murder and then showed it on those people's own social media so their friends and family could watch them being killed. Why would you do that if you weren't trying to inspire a war? Because Hamas knows they can't beat Israel. Right. They know this is going to infuriate Israel. They know Israel's going to retaliate because they already have plans for taking over Gaza. They are going to take over Gaza. This is all known. Everybody knew this was going to happen. So why would they do it? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the limits of, of, of self-delusion, um, especially mm-hmm. uh, religiously inspired self-delusion. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they, I, I, I understand, uh, without, you know, anyone telling me that, um, you know, confessing it, that they have always believed that if they can spark a big enough retaliation against Muslims, that the re- the rest of the Muslim world <clears throat> will be whipped into, um, you know, a fervor. And and the they're, always huge the they're always whipped into mm-hmm. forever. They, they spend their whole lives well, whipped into forever. But most of the Muslim now, most of the Muslim world isn't. And and like there's an awful lot of you know, the, the, as with the Soviet Union versus the the Nazis, right. um, being being politically the same, and that's why they hated each other. Um, the biggest threat in the Muslim world is between um, moderate leaders of countries. And and the radical hotheads who want they they want you know to murder their own leaders because they're not they're not crazy enough um, like you know the king the king of Saudi Arabia and all these things so I mean the, the number one target is to it's basically what happened in Iran in the 1970s is to is to is to overthrow the governments and have you know turn them into um, turn them into very um, uh, Intense, you know, intensely um, jihadi countries, and then of course they think that. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you if you listen to what Hamas has been saying in this short time, first of all, 
why are they saying anything at all? They've often done these things. You know, true terrorists have often done these things and denied it. Like Iran is denying everything. They always do. Um, they, Even though um, we know they did it. <laughs> I mean, all the right. evidence is that they did it. So that's it. Yeah. Well, it's just. So let me, let me, add, let me add one thing to what you were saying yeah. there because earlier, because um, whether, you know, you're right. Iran is the sponsor of terrorism and of Hamas. So if, if they, if they didn't, if they didn't specifically arrange, plan, fund, organize, and authorize this attack, Hamas would be risking its sugar daddy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, 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 if somehow Hamas did this without Iran's approval, right. Hamas would be, indeed, you know, they'd be, they'd be cut off. So they're not, that's, that's it, that, could, that couldn't happen. Um, that's true. You know, so, yeah. That's a good point. So uh, anyway, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. No, we we bounce back and forth like crazy here. But I want to get back to the four state, uh, the four uh, the four war scenario here. And so um, Joshua Phillips was reporting that uh, Xi Jinping, uh, head of the party, met with Mahmoud Abbas uh, back in July. So why would China meet with Hamas? And I'm thinking, and, and the other question is. Strange. Yeah, well, it's in the article. I post it all over our, our special <clears throat> investigations page. But the other question is, you know, who's Iran's benefactor? Where are they getting their money from? And I think China. They got a strategic partnership with China for 25 years. Why would China, you know, have a strategic partnership with a a, uh, a Muslim theocracy when they're a, a godless communist regime? What do they have in common? They think well, Iran's going to be the, the power, you know, base. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, this is what I this is what I keep trying to say to uh you know, to clueless uh, moderates and things is that <laughs> you know when you have a james bond show or some kind of uh drama mm-hmm. you know tough guy drama you know he's surrounded by bad guys and they come at him one at a time mm. and yeah, and he, he dispatches he dispatches all the these bad guys individually one at a time mm-hmm. like it's not going to happen like that it didn't mm-hmm. happen that way in world war ii <clears throat> they're all going to attack simultaneously. Yep. I mean, I mean, they're not going to. You know, people are not going to take a number to attack the United States. They're going to. You know, we will have. You know, if we have to fight any of our major enemies, we'll have to fight all of them. Because they're because because they because, you know, they've got thousands of years of cultural experience at war, and we're dumb. Um. So, you know, it's it's true. Like, why why wouldn't I mean, I mean, China is, isn't that where Sun Tzu comes from? Funny you um, say that. I, mean, yeah. I went over Sun Tzu's quotes. In fact, that's what the article goes over, too. So let's, let's review a couple mm-hmm. here just to, just to get us all back on, on the same page. So these are my Sun Tzu quotes, which I always have handy. Uh, appear weak when you are strong and strong when you are weak. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night, and when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. Supreme excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. And here's the key one. All warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. 
When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When far away, we must make him believe we are near. And then he said, in the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> that's never, the, never uh, let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> yeah. But the point is that and I'm going to go over this. I don't know which day, but uh, Congress put out a report detailing all of our inadequacies. <laughs> they spent a whole year doing it. So they actually told the entire world everything that we think is wrong with us. How incredibly well, stupid okay. is that? No. Uh, yes, it's, that's very stupid. I mean, uh, but, uh, but it's good that they were, <laughs> they were looking. <laughs> it's not that they should, should broadcast it. But the thing, the thing is, is that um, – oh, I just forgot what it is. So, so the, I mean, mm-hmm. when you talk about Sun Tzu, one of the major things is that we don't, um, we don't know ourselves. We don't know ourselves yep. and we don't know our enemies. It's like, you well, know, I'm, I'm very – America first. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. America first. We know ourselves. Patriots, we know ourselves. But the government, the illegal government, the the Washington bubble, the nation of government that thinks that Washington, D.C. is its own separate country, and we are simply colonies of that country. The people that uh, that make all these stupid policies, the people that are happy when we're miserable and are miserable when we're happy, that have everything backwards, they're the ones. Not only do they not, they certainly don't know this country. They, I think that they may but or may not know themselves, but they don't know America. But they are, but they are also um, stupidly arrogant, and, yes. and th- this is why. I mean, this is why I, you know, I, I've been so upset about the whole Russia. Uh, Ukraine thing because I mean going I mean I've been I've been in rooms back into the 1991 time period mm-hmm. where people manifested this idea that Russia is weak it's a paper tiger all we have to do is blow on it and it will fall down yeah, and all nope. this kind of stuff and, 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 and you know I, I I think that you know th- these kinds of people are extremely dangerous it's not that I want I mean I you know, I, 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 it's not that I don't want Ukraine to win. It's just that I think we're we're never going to win if we persist in being ignorant of our enemies. It's the stupidity of the people in Washington D.C. and the military who never who never bother to find you know all, all they can think about is their own arrogant prejudices, and they don't really know anything about our adversaries, and so they make really stupid decisions. And I just, it's like in a moment in Hunt for Red October mm-hmm. when, uh, um, you know, the admiral, the plane crashes and the admiral runs out on deck seeing it burning and says, says, this thing is going to get out of control. This thing is going to get out of control. We'll be lucky to live through it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's where we're at. So <clears throat> you have um, Joe Biden go on 60 Minutes and... Uh, I mean, you do start to, I mean, I don't know, it does, he does look like different people. But, but, the, um, but he goes on there and, and somebody asks him about this thing, you know, a, a poor version of the four wars thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Pelley asks a, a, a bumbled version of it saying, you know, <laughs> can, we handle, can we handle both um, Ukraine and Iran at the same time? And to me, it isn't, it isn't Joe Biden's answer that, that like, you know, we're, we're, the, 
we're the goddamn United States. Of course we can, you know, we're the most powerful country on earth. We're the most powerful country that's ever existed. It's the fact that Biden cannot comprehend the possibility that, no, we're not. You know, it's the idea idea that, that he's unable to understand our capabilities and our limitations. We're 30... $3 $3 trillion in debt. <clears throat> and um, and uh, so, uh, you know, that, that he's making decisions mm-hmm. based on the idea that we're invulnerable, we're invincible. You know, if you, now, if you were... That's you know, it's, I, like, I can, it's like if you were yeah, go ahead. Superman and you went into a hail of bullets and you didn't realize that there was kryptonite mm-hmm. and you didn't have your superpowers... You know, run it. I mean, the thing is, we're making stupid decisions mm-hmm. because we don't know ourselves and we don't know, I mean, our, our decision makers, yes. And we don't bother to look past our prejudices to understand our enemies. Well, see, this is a so I don't want yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm pro-Russian. I want to mm-hmm. say, look, stop making stupid decisions. Yeah, Russia is well, not. Well, Russia being pro-Russian. Going, uh, you know, I, I'm pro-Russian in the sense that I want Russia. Uh, you, you said it before that the greatest enemies of leftists are other leftists. They hate each other because they all want to be the biggest leftists so, on the block. Why did Germany attack Russia after signing a peace treaty? There was no reason for that. That was arrogance no. and ego and stupidity. So if German, yes. if Hitler were smart, which I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not glorifying Hitler here. I want to let you know that, you know, one of the most evil people that ever lived on the planet. However, if he really wanted the most territory for Germany with the least problems, he would have taken all of Germany, he would have taken, you know, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and, or left a, and left a buffer zone with Russia. Okay, that's yours, like at Poland. So, so from Poland, if there's like a, whatever the Iron Curtain is, if you'd taken the Iron, what became the Iron Curtain line, and so like Russia, okay, you guys, you know, you'd say here, we're going to take all of Europe. Uh, I mean, most of Europe would be German right now. Probably to this day. Yes. That's only you know, so- it's a good thing it didn't, because I got, I got friends over there now, like Marco. Well, but this is, this is what I'm saying. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't analyze. Mm-hmm. I mean, because people are thinking logically. They're thinking emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're looking at the world as a World War II movie, which I enjoy, but I don't mistake them for reality. Um, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> you know, the idea that... that yeah. uh, you, you talk about the fact that, you know, was Hitler smart? You have, if, you want to, if you want to influence another country, an enemy country, you mm-hmm. have to understand what pushes their buttons. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean you agree with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, you know, the, the best way to win is like a judo approach, that you, yeah. you use their own weight against them. Yeah, Aikido. And, I, I, I took Aikido for a couple of years. It's fascinating. Okay. But it's a philosophy. I mean, it's so, a very good philosophy. So if, yeah. you, if you understand what motivates Hitler, mm-hmm. you know, and you can use it against him, mm-hmm. if you don't understand, you're just walking into an, to an ambush, and you have no idea what, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so, they, um, you know, so you have to understand you know, what, what motivates them. It's like I saw this interesting um, documentary mm-hmm. where – um, the Nazis wined and dined Stalin and, and made him feel, this is before they, they fought against him. It was one of the weirdest things. Obviously. The world because, <laughs> what? 
That's it. Obviously, it was before they fought, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They went. Well, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, the Soviet. I mean, really, we should not have. You know, we should have held the Soviet Union accountable for World War II, because if they had not, if they had not, you know, teamed up with Hitler, originally, they probably never would have gotten off the ground. Then they get attacked and turn around, and we we help them, mm-hmm. and we give them everything they want. And we never say, oh, you know what? Remember when you helped start this whole thing? But, um, but the thing is, is that the English were, stu- you know, they were disrespectful. I mean, the one thing that Stalin needed was respect. I'm not saying he deserved it, but that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, so a Ribbentrop, uh, the, um, you know, the Nazis gave him the respect which they certainly did not really mean. Mm-hmm. And the English treated that treated the Soviet Union like a backwater. And so, so uh, Stalin signed up with the, with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a competition between uh, who, between whether the, the allies or the third Reich would get, would, would win over the Soviet Union as one of, as part of the Axis powers. Mm-hmm. It, I had no idea that that was true, that there was this, like, open, you know, they were openly bidding for who, who the Soviet Union was going to side, side with. And so why did, he side with uh, why did he side with Hitler then? Why did Stalin side because, with Hitler? Because, because, Hitler, because Hitler treated him with respect. Okay. And, and it's see, like, see, now, that, that makes sense because Hitler is not a great military strategist, but he's a brilliant manipulator of people, psychology, and, uh, you know, psyop. That's, that's, that's something I, I love to engage in, in psychological operations. So I want to I do a little right. experiment with you here um, when you're finished, but I've got an idea that I think will well, be kind well, of interesting for us to... Let me just finish by saying that obviously yep. we know for a fact that Hitler didn't mean it. You know, secretly... No, of course not. Secretly, Hitler, you know, Hitler, Hitler despised them, and you know, long before he actually um, invaded, um, <clears throat> you know, but like I said, he knew how to get what he wanted. Yeah. 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 Well, I just heard uh, Glenn Beck over the, over the weekend, a repeat show was talking about, he has a couple things uh, in his office. One of them is Neville, Neville Chamberlain's, you know, the famous British prime minister, Mr. Appeasement that said, I've met Hitler. We have peace in our time. Life is great. And uh, this is right before Hitler invades Poland, right? And but apparently, and he also has uh, somehow he got a copy of the original Polish, the original Nazi plans, the high up, I mean, the high commands plans for invading Poland, with every bridge that was going to be destroyed, every town that was going to be taken, the whole sequence of events. They had it all mapped out. That that plan is dated a year before Neville Chamberlain meets with Hitler. So so Hitler already knew, already had the plans for invading Poland a year before he said we're not going to invade Poland. It's already done, you know. And so all war is deception. So let's let's play a little uh, let's do a little psy operation of our own. Now I'm I'm big on psyops, which is psychological operations. Uh, the first thing I would have done when Brandon took over and opened our southern border was I, I was telling the Republican Party, you need to be on the border and you need to be handing out cards to everybody that comes in this country. Don't get too, too comfortable. You're not staying. That's a psychological operation. That's how you handle that. You know, I mean, we can do everything. You know, Canada, we can make a great ally. You know, by simply boosting them and saying, we really like Canadian independence. You're a great independent country because they feel like they're subordinate to the United States. So you do the opposite. And then we have equal trade right. uh, with, with, uh, with Russia. You know, you call them. Well, see, I would build up Russia for the simple reason that you want them against China because Russia and China have a natural hostility to each other. They have a hostile border. In the Cold War, what really saved us 
you know, from Russia and China was the fact that Russia and China hate each other, you know. So now they're allies. So what we have to do is reestablish. We have to find a way to make them hate each other. You know, China, mm-hmm. with, with Russia, I would actually build up their economy. With China, I would destroy their economy, which we can do. Stop buying this stuff, kick all their people out of our country, block all the universities, defund all those universities, make them build their own stuff, take our, or, or, make, or make a whole bunch of uh, secret technology that doesn't work. Apparently, the British, now this is something I heard years and years ago, that the, the British knew that the Italians were stealing their plans for ships. So apparently they, they, had, they made up these fake plans for a ship that was guaranteed to sink, but it looked pretty good at first. The Italians stole it, built the, the, the battleship, and it sank. <laughs> you know? And so that, that's because British are really good at deception. You know, they're, they're, the entire uh, Normandy invasion was, was cloaked in deception. You know, Patton was going to lead it. The landing was going to be at Calais. You know, and they had fake tanks, and you know, they had like air inflatable you know, things that they, they, they made look like tanks. I mean, the whole thing was deception. We're not good at deception. We're terrible at it. But, you know, if, if you wanted to irritate Hitler, call him a weenie. So look, you stupid weenie. You can't do anything. You're not going to take over Europe. Antagonize the hell out of him so he makes stupid mistakes. That would be very Sun Tzu. You know, with well, Russia. And, and you know, I don't know why, but to a, lot, to a large extent, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Nazi Third Reich, and I say Third Reich because, of course, they conquered, my, you know, went way beyond Germany and things, but mm-hmm. they, their, uh, their military... You know, was very concerned that Hitler was rushing. You know, they needed another five to ten years mm-hmm. to be ready to yeah. conquer and hold. Sorry, war. ain't gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, because he, because he, you know, he was. You know, this is what's interesting is that he he, he was Hitler was brilliant in some ways and stupid in others. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a ADHD and he and he. Um, <laughs> Why <know>, that? <laughs> he. Um, <laughs> You no, know, he sowed the seeds, seeds of his own defeat. Um, well, ego. And, uh, it's the ego. You've got to uh, do things with that ego. If you, if you can keep your ego in check, this is why I have all you people to keep my ego in check, you know, and it's going to be necessary when we have like 10 million listeners. But if you can check your ego, you can do anything. If you don't do it for yourself, yeah. you know, if you have a bigger purpose, like our purpose here is the greatest freedom and the greatest prosperity for the greatest number. That's, that's our mission well, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's so, why when, when Joe Potato, uh, as people call him, goes uh-huh. on 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. and he's like, he, he, he's, it's not like he's analytically saying, no, I think that we can fight two wars, and here's why. Oh, it, it, mm-hmm. It's like he cannot comprehend the possibility mm-hmm. that he's overextending the United States. It's like it, it's not even within the realm of the universe for him to mm-hmm. think about the fact, you know, we're yeah. in the United States, damn it. We can do, well, you know... See, with him, you show him that he's incompetent. You ask him a simple question everybody knows that he doesn't know. I would ask him what year this is. Totally out of left field. He won't know. You know, if he says 1986, right. which is probably what he's going to say, or something like, you know. Yeah. So, in another, you, you such a simple example. Well, everybody knows what year it is. Well, come on, say it. What year is this? Now he'll be thinking about it, okay? But the fact that he had to think about it, that's a question. See, the, see this is what you do. You upset these people. You, you call Hitler a weenie. You call Stalin a peasant. You know, a grain, a wheat farmer, <laughs> nothing wrong with wheat farmers, but I'm just saying. You antagonize people. You, you tell China, we're going to destroy your economy. You know, we're going to take away everything. And then you do it. You know, but just, first of all, you threaten it, and then you see what they do. Um, or bluff. I mean, bluffs are great. So, so how, if we want to do a psychological operation with Mexico, you know, how would, how would you put Mexico in check? 
Well, that raises that's like the Republican Party, which if we get a chance to talk about the speaker's race a little bit. Um, okay, go ahead. Is there, I'll, I'll give my plan for Mexico. Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, is there a Mexico? Hmm. You know, is, is there one entity that is Mexico? Or is it, you know, is it a weak, corrupt government who is, you know, looking over their shadow, which cartel member is going to shoot them in the back of the head? Well, yeah. That's, <laughs> well, here's my plan. I, w- I would tell the Mexican government, I said, I'm not going to deal with you anymore because you're weak. You're a bunch of weenies. We're going to deal directly with the cartels as the government of Mexico. That would uh, boost the cartels' confidence. That would infuriate the government of Mexico, and then I bomb the hell out of the cartels. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that would be, I mean, that's that's right. how I do it. Dealing, but I'm, I yeah, think psychological. But the stupid people in Washington would say that dealing with the cartel means, you know, sitting down and, and having a party with them. You know, oh, I do that too. No, I, I would I would have an ambassador. I'd have a cartel ambassador just to bring him into our confidence. And of course, if they did anything to the, that ambassador, you know, it'd be a different story. But I'm just saying that everything's deception. You know, you you want to uh, well. Here's the thing too. I would tell Israel you need a Monroe Doctrine. I was talking about this in the first hour. So they they need the Ben Gurion Doctrine. That I said I said and I call it the One Nation Solution. Okay, I said Israel's got to well, stop calling themselves a state. That diminishes their power. That equates with the Palestinian state, which doesn't exist. It's the nation of Israel, and the one state's the One Nation Solution is the the reunification with Golan Gaza. And the West Bank, so that this, when I say reunification, that's like, oh, that means they were unified at one point. Yeah, we need to reunify them. So now it's a whole different argument. It's psychological. Jonathan? Yeah, well, I don't know what happened to the Jews of the world and becoming uh, woke before there was woke. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, this has been going on for quite a long time before anybody started calling themselves woke. So inside, you know, they... The idea of doing what you're doing is that, you know, most, most Israeli uh, citizens, you know, they would think, oh, that's mean. You know, we couldn't do that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, uh, Get real. A very Machiavellian um, at times. See, I would arm every Israeli citizen. In fact, I would have massive tax credits for, for ammunition, and I would just spend national budget. I would arm every – if I was the Israeli government, if you live in a place where everybody around you is trying to kill you, they should all be armed. That would be the greatest defense against uh, any occupying army because everybody's carrying a gun all the time. What, what I read was is that only about two well, – well, technically it's legal. In practice, just like New York City or Washington, D.C., getting a permit is so hard that only about 2% of Israeli citizens have guns. Which is crazy, which is why they, there's so many were killed. You know, in fact, I got that, right. I've got our gun reporters on Friday looking into that. I asked them to, uh, you know, let's, let's take a measure of this. You know, how many lives would have been saved? And here's a great you – know, and, and the fact that they, they proved that they, they, their gun restrictions were a terrible policy because the first thing they did after all the attacks was loosen the gun laws. We well, shouldn't have had them in the first place. You just admitted that they don't work. <laughs> you know, but, but like I say, the, the problem gun control is, kills. Is, yeah, go ahead. Is that as in the United States, um, somehow most Israeli people – I mean, not the government, not the military, not the Mossad, but too much of the population – it's just gone so far left wing, and I don't know how it, how that is. They can't afford that. They can't afford to be left wing. Israel is not a place where you can, well, except that left, the left, the ultimate left, is violent. So, to my curiosity, is what's going to happen in this country with all these illegal alien terrorist groups that are working here as the FBI goes after uh, America First patriots? 
And, and you know, they're going to blame us for when something happens. Let's get back to the speaker's race, because you mentioned that a minute ago, and I want to make sure we, we cover that. What's, what's your thinking? Well, the, thing is, the things that, that I want to mention are, again, um, <clears throat> I've had so many conversations with people about the Republicans this and the Republicans that, that it's gotten me to the point of saying, which Republican? You know, mm-hmm. there, there is not a Republican Party. There, is, there are two different re- Republican parties, possibly three or four. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about people say, oh, I won't, you know, I'm not going to vote because the Republicans, like, which Republican? Um, back in 1964, as I, as I keep trying to help people understand, there was a, a huge contest for the presidential nominee between um, uh, Rockefeller and who was the, you know, the establishment stock market uh, country club. Globalist. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, do nothing and um, – you know, it, it doesn't, you know, we, we accept that we're going to lose. We just want to try to look, look good while we lose. Um, and, and then there was uh, Goldwater, Barry Goldwater. Now, from my perspective, I don't know if Barry Goldwater is the perfect example of MAGA conservatives or Reagan conservatives, but it just illustrates, you know, but he was, they were willing to, to launch, to, to fight a huge uprising mm-hmm. against the, the Republican establishment. So people, and of course, anytime the establishment or the media or the left wants to go after conservatives, and they, they ignore history and pretend it's only one particular person. They say like, you know, all, they, always, they always pick on one conservative at a time. Um, but in fact, they hate them all. Uh, so, um, there's a huge uprising against, against the Rockefeller Republicans. Now they say like, oh, you know, you're, you, know you don't even know what a rhino is. Like, we've been fighting this battle for, um, for uh, 60 years. And in 1964, when they had this uprising, it was, a, it, it was something where they had already got, you know, come to a boil to the point where there was this gigantic battle for the Republican nomination. And what, you know, what happens is, <clears throat> is the, the establishment says, you have to let us pick the nominees because we are experts and we know better. And then they pick awful mm-hmm. nominees who always lose. Mm-hmm. And then if the conservatives... Well, that, that's by somehow, design, by the way. That's by design because the natural order of power in Washington is the Democrats win. And even if the Republicans win a few once in a while, uh, they're still subordinate to the Democrats because the Democrats are the natural leaders and the Republicans are, are the, the betas. You know, I mean, and the two exceptions, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, were aberrations. They were not supposed to happen. And so, so then, uh, um, but then if the conservative wins the nominee, nomination, mm-hmm. the establishment of both parties and the left goes about sabotaging them to mm-hmm. make their, their prophecy come true. Mm-hmm. So, so they say, like, you know, this conservative can't win, especially not with a thousand knives sticking out of their back. <laughs> um, they, uh, you know, so, so this, I mean, this, and this pattern, it's like, you know, it's, it's like watching, uh, you know. Rerun. You know, it's like watching a rerun of the yeah. original Star Trek. You know what's going to happen, cheer, cheer. but you watch it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Cheer, cheerleaders on, on Halloween, Halloween, you know, part, you know, 49. Um, you know, it's like how many times do we see, at what point do we like, 
Steve Bannon talks about pattern recognition. Um, and, you know, at what point so do, do we. you say, you know what? Like you say, I think I've seen this movie before. Um, and uh, we keep doing it again and again and again. It's the, well, what's, the that called? What, what's that called? If you repeat the same pattern expecting a different result, what's that called? I, I, I wish I knew. I don't know. What the insanity. Right that is. It's the definition of insanity. Well, that's true. It is. That's correct. So, so the thing is, is they say that, well, you know, the, the, we can't nominate the conservative because conservatives can't win. And if, the, and if you nominate the conservative, we'll prove, we'll prove it by destroying the conservative from within the Republican Party. Except that the two most successful presidents of the last, you know, 50 years were both conservatives. Even though they didn't know right. it. You know, uh, well, Trump is conservative without knowing it. He's just America first. Ronald Reagan was a conservative. So the right. people that they and, didn't want, so so now it's been proved twice now, right? It's been proved twice that the people that they say can't win, can't govern, will fail, have been the two most successful presidents and the best for this country in the last 50 years. Go figure. Right. So, so today we have the speaker, or today and tomorrow, apparently they're the, um, the, the establishment is going to run a candidate against Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House. Uh, remember, people haven't caught up. Um, they went. Jordan was not going to run, and then Scalise, Steve Scalise, and he were going to run. Um, they, um, Jordan won narrowly within the within the conference, but because uh-huh. we only have about three to five seats with vacancies, um, we have to know that all Republicans are going to, are going to vote for the, the, the nominee for speaker. Otherwise, Democrat Hakeem Jeffries will be speaker. So um, they can't go to the floor with a vote <clears throat> until they've all agreed on, a, on an alternative. Well, they did before. They did and, with, uh, with McDeep State, with Kevin McDeep State. They didn't know he was going to win. That was, well, that was one of the true. best moments of Congress I'd ever seen. It was fabulous to actually watch them make the sausage, as they say. It was great. Right. They should do it, it, again. Was, it, was, it was still very risky. It was like those movies where the, the bus in you know, Argentina or Peru is going on the edge of the mountain. No, no the risk yeah. was McCarthy would win because we, we knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to sell out. He was going to make deals with Brandon. He was going to be Paul Ryan and, and uh, Boehner. All over again. He was, he's the control. See, the, it looks to me like the deep state, they don't care if the House goes Republican. That's not a big deal because the Democrats could easily have stolen the election again in, in uh, uh, 2022, easily. So the fact that they let the Republicans gain a majority in the House without stealing enough seats or overturning seats after the election means that they don't care if the House is Republican. What they care about is controlling the speakership. That's why this is so critical. So you can have the most Republican House in the world, but if the speaker is deep state controlled, Paul Ryan, John Boehner, uh, anybody else, except for Gingrich is the only one who wasn't, but even he, he's turning out to be pretty bad right now. He's lost his way. He's, he's, uh, but but if, the, if the deep state controls the speakership, it doesn't matter what the Republican House does. They've got the speakership. Right. They can stop everything. That's why this right. is key. So the, and, and so there are reportedly you know, as many as 50 Republicans who are um, ready to vote with the Democrats to keep Jim Jordan from becoming Speaker. 
Now, why would, now think, let's but, think about that. Let's look at it psychologically. This is fascinating to me because Jim Jordan is by far the best candidate. Jim Jordan is absolutely America first. Jim Jordan loves his country. Jim Jordan has a proven track record of loyalty to the United States. Jim Jordan investigates things that have to be investigated on judiciary. Jim Jordan is fearless. Nobody comes close to him in the House right now for helping this country uh, than Jim Jordan. He is the person. So how is it that 50 Republicans who allegedly love this country and respect this country and present their constituency, how is it possible that 50 Republicans could vote against the person who's absolutely the best qualified unquestionably of everybody in the House? How could that happen? Because those, those Republican establishments, going back to FDR, um, they, they – and remember, I, after Christine O'Donnell, during and after Christine O'Donnell's um, insurgency in, uh, in Delaware – I had a lot of time, and I was doing some, some communications work for before and after. I've had these conversations with people over and over and over again. So it's not just speculation. It's just they, they, you know, we think that a president or any leader is there to do things. They, the, the establishment thinks that, that leaders are there just to look good. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you want, don't you want a model that you know, we can look up to? Yeah, no. What? Leaders are there to do what they're told, according to the deep state. Well, that's true, but they but they also think that like you know, if people would actually say, who does she think she is running for senator? Well, who does she hmm. have to be? Exactly. I mean, they they, they they literally think that unless you're a blue blood, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, country club leader, who mm-hmm. is you know, you know, if you they were a man, wears you know, white tail tuxedos and goes to the opera and things like that. Like you're, you know, you're not the kind of leader we want because they, they, it's not about, they don't want somebody to do things. They want somebody just to look good. They want someone we can all admire that when their Republic, when their Democrat friends look at it and they say, Oh, you have such a fine looking, uh, you know, Republican speaker or president. And then that makes them look good. Yeah. But somebody who goes in there with bare knuckles, um, you know, brawling to defeat the Democrats, oh, that, you know, that makes them uncomfortable and it makes them look bad by comparison. And people might say bad things about them. Oh, no. You know, so, <laughs> so our concept of what a leader is supposed to be doing, like if yeah. your plumbing breaks, you want a plumber to, who can come in and can fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and if he if he comes in grungy with a butt crack and and you know and maybe he's going through a divorce and his uh, car is belching smoke, you don't care. You just want your pipes fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the way the establishment looks at it. They they want and and for example, if you hire a plumber, you don't want him to invent some new way of plumbing. Mm-hmm. You know they'll say like, oh, is this conservative smart enough to you know, all, you know, the, to, to come up with solutions to this or that. We know the solution. We don't need new solutions. We we know what works. Yep. Every, they, they work every time they're tried. Mm-hmm. We, we we need someone who can fight for them. But um, you know, you don't want a plumber who's like has to go and invent a whole new concept of plumbing in order to just fix your damn pipes. Um, so, um, I mean, I think that's that's a big part of it. Is that their goals? Are not our goals. Mm-hmm. You know, they they they, they literally well, that's do not. They, they, 
that's the psychological mm-hmm. operation on us. That's the That's the psyop on us. So the psyop that the deep state plays is that they're here for us when in reality they're here for themselves. That yes. the America First people are somehow dangerous because they believe in America First. Well, that's insane. That's like saying, you know, if you fly the American flag, you're a threat to this country. Well, who's this country then? This country then becomes Washington, D.C., the nation of government. I've already written about that. So they see themselves as the United States and the rest of the United States as their colony. Whereas we see, you know, a whole bunch of independent states, which are more like countries, you know, which are, are, are loosely joined together, you know, and Washington does a few necessary things that the states would uh, constantly argue over. It's a totally different. So, let me, let me, yeah. let, me well, let me jump in no, here. That, uh, so, so they're going to fight tomorrow over this. Mm-hmm. And we're told that, you know, um, quick, we've got to put Kevin McCarthy back so that, uh, you know, or give us a, a, a rhino so that we can pass a resolution condemning Hamas against Israel. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what is the resolution? You know, you think that, you think that Israel is waiting for our resolution? What are you not? I mean, and resolutions I mean, like, don't do anything. There's no budget. Well, there's, no, there's no law change. There's no administrative change. There's not a resolution is just a, an opinion. Well, we already have well, that it's, like, it's like <laughs> we already have that Yeah. You know, it's like a, it's like a hashtag war. Um, Why wouldn't Jim plus, Jordan pass that? They, they, they think Jordan's not going to pass that resolution? He doesn't care. He'll no, pass we it just to hurry up. We need to hurry uh, up and do it. And what I'm going to oh. say is under the Constitution, the, the U.S. House of Representatives right. um, you know, establishes its own rules. Uh-huh. It's the judge of its own officers. Uh-huh. And the speaker is mentioned in the Constitution, which m- this may illuminate the conversation we've had in, having is that if Joe Potato um, has a great fall um, and um, Kamala Harris can't cut it, guess who becomes president? The speaker. speaker No, but but the first thing that happens is if Kamala Harris, you know, through some horrible twist of fate, uh, you know, is is installed as president, the first thing she's going to do is to appoint a vice president. So the speaker will not become president. Well, she she nominates one and the House has to approve it. Has to prove the which speaker. they will, <laughs> which they will, yeah. but they're not going to prove the still, speaker. The only, place, the only place the speaker is mentioned uh-huh. is, in, is is inviting the president to come give a state, state of the union speech and and um, being in the line of succession. So, so, so where do the speaker's powers come from? If they don't come from the Constitution, do they just come over time? They just evolved, and I, you know, and I no, think the parties are the biggest under, problem. How, how does the speaker get the, 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 this much power? On, no, under the Constitution, it is explicit that the House and the Senate um, have the authority to make their own decisions about how they run each house. Okay. So it is, it is explicitly grounded in the Constitution that the House can do whatever, can organize itself any way it wants. Right. With a majority. So the idea that, that you know, we don't have a speaker at this crucial time. Yes, we do. We have an acting speaker, McHenry, Mr. Botox. He's terrible. And... Though. He sucks. Well, He's a deep state. Be, but the thing is, right. But the thing is, is the idea that, that, that the house cannot cannot function. Yes, it can. Sure, can. There's no. I mean, there's there's no requirement that there be a speaker in order for them to continue doing their business. Well, the committee chairs. I mean, all the committees keep functioning. And, you know, they can bring bills to the floor. Don't they rotate who who has the gavel anyway? I mean, they have some presiding, yeah. but the speaker doesn't preside over the house all the time. Whoever's turn it is presides. 
Right, but and just like just like if the president if President Biden uh, wandered off and was riding Biden. Did you say President Biden? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If the subway (laughs) uh, train and nobody knew where he was, Uh would would the United States be unable to function? No, we have a vice president. Hey, we function when when the government shut down. We function just fine. Actually, better because a lot of people are laid off. Would anybody notice? If the same thing is there. true of the House. Yeah. If, that, if, yeah. the, if, if, if this afternoon the mm-hmm. House had to declare war, it could do it. It doesn't, there doesn't have to be a speaker. So here's the question. I mean, Would the House be better off without a speaker? Uh, since the, the organizational activities at the beginning of the session mm-hmm. have already taken place and the committees have already been formed, and the chairman's already appointed, mm-hmm. um, maybe not. I mean, if, if, if you didn't have a speaker mm-hmm. to organize the House at the beginning of each two years, mm-hmm. that would be a problem. But right now, it's, they're up and running. Um, well, sure, no, why you, not? Could still, you, could, you could elect the uh, – in fact, the committee chairs could all be elected by secret ballot, which is, which is my preference. But they're already there. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying for next time. But what I'm saying is you don't need a speaker. You, right. you don't need a speaker at all. The House might be better off without a speaker. So you take turns presiding over the meetings. The committee chairs report the bills. People, everybody can bring a bill to the floor. Then maybe there's no need for a speaker. Wouldn't that be an interesting concept? No one ever thinks about that, except that you have one well, person designated a speaker to invite the president for the State of the Union. So you have to fulfill the, the constitutional speaker, duties, but you make someone speaker a speaker temporarily. Go ahead. The speaker is mentioned in the Constitution, but not defined. And it is explicitly okay. stated that, that the, each House of Congress establishes its own procedures, and, mm-hmm. and which are not subject to question. Mm-hmm. So uh, however the House, you know, if by majority of the House wanted to organize itself some particular way, they could do it. Right, right. Well, look they at the term speaker. If you're, if the, you're speaker the speaker, stopped, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea why it's called speaker. But, no, but, 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 but it, think it, about it, though. It actually makes sense because the speaker speaks for the House. So if the speaker right. speaks for the House and tells the president it's time for you to come to a State of the Union, that makes sense. So the, so the term speaker right. might be very relevant. I mean, things are done for the, in, in our founding for a reason. Dorothy's online. I'll get to you in just a second. But things are done for a reason. So if the speaker speaks for the House, then the speaker has no official administrative duties. It's their job to be like the, the press secretary. Yes. Yeah, well, it could be. <clears throat> I mean, uh. the House can do anything it wants. And, right. and the thing is, in, in regards to its internal operation. Um, so that's my, the, uh, hey, Matt Gates, are you listening could, to this? <laughs> they could make the speaker yeah. um, responsible for bringing the tea and crumpet. You know, your, your job so, is to bring so, the donuts. So, so here's our out-of-the-box thinking for, the, for today. Let's work on this. Let's work on this for next week. Would the House be better off without a speaker? I think so, because the speaker controls the majority party, the majority party controls the Congress, the minority party has no voice, they can't represent the constituents, they can't bring bills to the floor, and are effectively useless for the time they are there, because the speaker and the majority party control the entire House. So I think in that respect, we'd be better off without a speaker. Then what would the majority right. party well, do? The speaker, Nothing. One of the oh. speaker's job is to, turn, is to turn down the National Guard and leave the Capitol unprotected. But, yeah, to, um, to an but, insurrection uh, that could not have taken over the government. <laughs> Anyway, all right. So, um, um, and with respect to Dorothy, uh, I think we've—I don't know if we've solved anything in the last hour. Oh, we but, solved a ton uh, of things. 
Hey, we're the only show in the world that's questioning whether the House should have a speaker. We just did that. But I'm sick of talking <laughs> politics. I want, I, want, I want to talk about sex now. So I've, I've had enough talking politics. Okay. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. Take care. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Save me, Dorothy. It's been two very intense hours. Oh, my God. I'm talking about an adrenaline rush. <laughs> you get a yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. Oh, I can't. I just did it. <laughs> two mm-hmm. hours yeah, yeah. I need well, you breath. love it, and you're good at it, and you understand it. And, you <sighs> know, you. There we go. you can speak clearly on it. You have your own ideas and solutions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. What do you think of that idea we just had at the spur of the moment, like five minutes before the show ended? Maybe the house would be better off without Getting, a speaker. That's like I mean, revolutionary. I think <laughs> a lot okay. of people, especially the past few years, would completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've had a speaker. But you're not that going to hear that. It's gonna, a lot the of question's fans. always going to be who is going to do it, not do we even, even need one. And that's just why I love Action Radio, because we do think about these things. But anyway, like I said, enough of that. What chat. do you mean who's going to do it? Who's going who's gonna to well, get rid the of the only question speaker? That like the news, to... Yeah, the only question the news media is asking is who's going to be speaker. And mm-hmm. can Jim Jordan do it being an America first, you know, one of those people that loves America? Oh, no, we can't have that. You know, we need a, we need a oh. state Republican, you know, gelding. You know, that's that's what they're asking. We're asking. Well, right. We well, even to have get a speaker. us to the, to the end, to the end result <laughs> yeah. of the Ukraine war, the COVID pandemic, 9-11. They have, oh, they bringing want to me back into it. it. Gonna... Dorothy, you're, oh, you're not, enabling. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're not you, you're, you, you, you're, you're like my codependent political <laughs> person. No, let's go back to sex. <laughs> Don't do that to me. I just I have to play, I I have to play your theme again. Hours. I've had I'll zero have to... hours of this kind of discussion all week. When now that I'm reflecting, it's interesting. Um <laughs> And you've had so many, but so for me, I'm like, oh yeah, let me just, all of a sudden, here's a new topic in my week. Um, Hmm. Yeah, so what I thought about to (laughs) do a replay, (laughs) you'll get all you want. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, yeah, and I guarantee I don't have any new ideas. I just have like, you know, empathetic reflections, you know, but nothing, nothing new, really. That's not nothing. Um, It's really interesting. Well, different. I mean, probably a coup is our only. No, we had one. Hope. No, we already had a coup. We, we need a restoration. A coup. Of all right, stop. You're bringing me back again. Stop. You're being codependent again. Stop that. Okay. Right. So. <laughs> okay. So what I wanted to talk about today was what I Thank was you. thinking to talk about um, was first of all, why do women resist pleasure? So we we know mm. now. Well, great question. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of science and health health related science that discusses. The, the knowledge that women, well, men also, but women in particular for different reasons in this country we'll talk about would benefit later. a lot. Yeah, would yeah. benefit a lot from putting down a lot of the responsibilities and burdens, and a lot of it is self-inflicted, um, mm. and, and picking up more pleasure, self-care, support, moving towards pleasure. 
and that this is the way humanity was up until modern times. Um, you know, let's go 5,000 well, years ago like before pleasure? the agriculture. You know, it's a fascinating question. So, how much do women so, like food? How much do women like sex? How much do women like music compared to guys? I'm just curious. Are, do women, are women in well, denial for some reason? There's a lot of cultural reason? pressures. No. There's okay. a lot of cultural pressures for women from a young age to not move towards pleasure and to resist it and push it away. And huh. so then we get adults who, who not only don't do self-care, don't get support, and are, are deniers essentially like flagellating themselves. But then we also hmm. in intimate situations get adults, women especially, not necessarily men, and that there's different reasons, who have difficulty orgasming, difficulty experiencing pleasure in their body, difficult even being present in their body, even being able to feel the sensations as they're happening versus having their brain go all kinds of different places, leaving their body or just being completely just in the day and in the stresses. Um, so there's a concept of extended orgasm in Tantra and it goes beyond Tantra. The Tantra doesn't own that concept, but it's, it's very um, overlapping with those philosophies and it's a very real thing. And it's the, the phenomenon where in the body gets to not just have a peak of orgasm during sexual encounter, but gets to have a very long, full-bodied orgasm that can essentially last a half an hour. And that's a very interesting concept to me, and I love to think hmm. about that as okay. it intersects with a woman's abil- like ability to have pleasure or blocks of pleasure. So, so what are your... Well, I just, let's, 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 ask the, let's ask a really big general question guaranteed to infuriate everybody. Mm-hmm, how much mm-hmm. do women enjoy sex compared to how much men enjoy sex? What, what I mean, that's a say? really broad question. Well, of course. Um, this is I my show. Know. This is what I, I do. I mean, yeah, but, that, but I don't even but, know how to answer that. How much do women okay. like? Okay, that's like, an answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's a good thing for us to explore. See, my questions are not designed for, for immediate answers. My questions are designed for thought-provoking conversation. So let's think about that <laughs> because the, the stereotypes are, you know, men love sex 24 hours a day. We, that's all we do. We think about sex constantly. Well, maybe me. But, you know, but, uh, but the thing is, it's, it, but that's, that's a stereotype. A lot of guys are like, you know, I'm really, I want, I want to build an airplane. I want to, uh, you know, I want to climb Everest. I want to do other well, things. Well, it changes as we age, too. So. Okay. The amount well, of time go, sex is on a man's mind, 17 to 25, is different than 50, 60, and over. But because, how much, because hormones change and testosterone decreases. And, okay, um, we talked about that. So, but how much do men actually enjoy sex? As a, and let's talk. And then, how much do, you do mean women actually? Enjoy it, emotionally yeah, I mean, enjoy what? It? I mean, I don't know how you measure this. Is this is a whole new area for me? I, did, I literally, literally just thought of that. I mean, do you measure it on like the electromagnetic scale? Do you measure it on the pleasure scale? Do you measure it on the emotional reward scale? Do you measure it on the physical release scale? Do you you measure it on on, on the aerobic scale? I have no idea how to do this. I'm, I'm I'm new. I'm exploring new ground here. But I think this is this is what you're getting to because I want to find out. And then I want to ask the same question: of Women, how much do women enjoy sex? You know, you know well, who, whose orgasms I mean, are stronger what, if you want to so do that So for me, way, if you're talking about enjoy, yeah. for me, I know this wasn't my topic today, but for me, if we'll you if you're talking if you're talking about enjoying sex, I'm so for me as a woman, my feeling on that is not just having the physical sensation. It's like eating an ice cream by yourself really quickly at night before you go to bed, you know, or you can eat it with friends and like make the, the toppings on together. And um, take a picture of it if you want. Like, I don't know. And um, 
you know, even go to the grocery store and choose the toppings and bring it home uh-huh. and you're with someone you love and you're having fun and laughing. So right. when I think about enjoying sex, I think about the whole package. Like you're having a rewarding emotional connection. No, I you're agree. having great foreplay. You're hanging out afterwards, not having that thing that some people do when they have old wounding where they have to emotionally cut off right after sex and get out because it's too much intimacy. Like it's too much emotional connection. So okay. So so now now you get the, do you get the time after? Yeah. Yeah. So now we're getting back to your topic. I'm overanalyzing. I'm I'm looking really simple, basic questions here because in other words, so in other words, we, we establish pleasure, you know, sex, food, music, you know, the things we enjoy, companionship, friendship, you know, before, during, and after. All those things kind of, kind of come together. But, when, but if people are denying, if women are denying pleasure, you know, I'm kind of curious. Mm-hmm. And because I see this directly relates to relationships, because we have conflicts of who wants more sex, you know, or who wants more emotional contact, or who wants more friendship, or who wants more, you know, time to be together, or who wants more time at the gun range, or who wants more time, you know, climbing Everest. It's, it's, it all kind of relates to me. In other words, there's a, there's a disconnect mm-hmm. between men and women in terms of pleasure. And if women are denying pleasure, not only are they denying it for themselves, they're denying it for the men that they're with, too. Yes, they absolutely are. And it's not intentional. But, no, I'm not saying um, it is. I'm not blaming. Yeah. But what this is a fascinating into my topic. Head was this, was Go ahead. This, I mean, you say who enjoys sex more. It's such an, that is an interesting topic. Um, you know, and I, I, the, and I don't think this actually counts as a great answer, but... You know, we, we know that women have more nerve endings in their pelvic area, in their mm-hmm. genital area, 80,000. I can't, I think men are 50 to 60,000, but that is really speaks highly of the woman's ability to experience pleasure. And it's not just at the clitoris, it's many different places. Mm-hmm. And so why do women resist pleasure in general? So imagine children exactly. when they're little. Imagine if children, and this more, is real, yeah. this is real okay. because if and there's ways to solve it too, actually, there's ways to um, ha- take actions to fix it and, and also mental state. So, but if you think about a little girl and uh, just imagine she's playing in, you know, outside and she's pulling the flowers and she's throwing them in the air and pretending she's a queen walking on them. And mm-hmm. she's just, and then an adult comes out and I just, just popped in my head. An adult comes out and says, what are you doing? Those are our flowers. Or you're making such a mess. Honey, can't you um, play on the grass? Can, you know, some, some corrective thing that if you think about it in the big picture, doesn't really matter in the big picture of childhood, but it's Always many does. adults. Instant reaction. Well, what, no, in the big picture of childhood, it doesn't matter that she's doing mm. that. Like better to, better to let her play and be happy than to correct it. But this is just a little thing. And there is a way to correct without shaming. There, there's absolutely a way to guide and correct in a way that doesn't teach a child that their pleasure is, is shameful, guilty, or wrong. But mm-hmm. kids get a lot of messages about that, from the foods they want to eat to um, how long they want to breastfeed, we, even weaning breastfeeding toddlers. Um, there's just, you know, touching the genitals, which is a natural early childhood thing to do, and, and the reaction adults have. They get many, many um, messages that, that their pleasure is not good and not something they should seek, in fact, causes problems and is disapproved. Then is it more for girls? The reason it's more for girls, yes, okay. because when a little boy plays with his penis, I, 
I've known this for having for having mom parents as well as okay. because no, I love no, no names and I like no names here because we don't embarrass people but, but <laughs> generally speaking, there will be a tendency when a little boy is you know flinging his dingling for them to laugh and say oh you know boys will be boys and if a girl you know I have a friend's daughter who was you know a toddler and this is not abnormal at all this is not a weird thing but she was she found that she had a hole and she was putting her toys in it and her mom thankfully had a phd in child development and handled it beautifully but you can imagine how horrified a lot of women would be or a lot of parents and the reaction even if they don't intend to what the reaction might be so um so there is even a different usually response for a little girl touching herself than a little boy and I think there's this old held probably beliefs of um, what it might mean for her as she gets older, if she's enjoying touching herself, what that might lead to. You know, there's still that kind of baggage from the Victorian, right, we've talked about. And then take it into school, take it into cultural messages that are confusing. We've talked about a million times about mm-hmm. um, a woman getting not great messages about her sexuality and very, very confusing being told be sexy, be pretty, be alluring. But don't have but sex. You don't really, <laughs> don't yeah, you don't really deserve do. pleasure. You don't deserve pleasure. And sex is yeah. scary. It's negative. It causes diseases. You shouldn't be doing it. Um, we're not going to tell you about the pleasurable aspects. You know there's something there you're being lied to about or being held from you. You're going to discover it on your own and then feel guilty. There's so many messages. And so by the time yeah. men do not get as many at all. In fact, okay. they do get subtle. They tend to get subtle cultural messages that their sexuality is um, virility, it's strength, it's power, it's potency. They should go out and conquer the more mm-hmm. women, the better. And they just don't get the same messages. Um, so when you get See, but that's a, a burden on guys, and, too. That's, that's a burden on guys. Yeah. If they don't have enough women, then they feel mm-hmm. somehow inadequate. And I've, I've you know, because I've, I've had mm-hmm. guys, you know, from fraternities to, to uh, you know, teamsters to, you know, I, you know I, I, I spend a lot of time chatting with guys about stuff like this, which most guys don't do. But for some reason, we talk anyway. But yeah. Yeah, there's the, the, the pressure that people think, you know, the, the women especially think, well, guys just want to get out and conquer. And so that's a pressure. That's a pressure every so much as the pressure of not to feel good when you're having sex. That, that I think women, this, it, and, and I've heard this before, women have more nerve endings and, you know, the, uh, you know multiple orgasms, the whole bit. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. a guy, I'm just, I do what guys physiologically, biologically do. Obviously, those are my limitations. I don't care. That's the way I was made. So for me, it's not a big deal. But it is an interesting thing to explore. You know, and so if women, mm-hmm. you know, physic, physically are designed for multiple organs, more pleasure, more nerve endings, the whole bit, how is it that women aren't you know, demanding sex from guys all the time? If you, if you take all the culture out of it, you take right. all the stereotypes, yeah. you take everything out of it. If women physically enjoy sex more, why aren't women chasing guys? And say, hey, come on, let's right. have some sex. Well, because Think about that's it. just not part of that's not part of ah. nature. Eggs are fresh and sperm is cheap. And I and I don't mean to say that in a coarse way, but there is a protective, very strong I mean, our amygdala is much bigger, so we always and it's much more hyperactive. So we're always seeing the worst case scenario. We have a and lot of people fear or women. survival. Are we talking women. people or women? Have a bigger amygdala? Women. Really? We have a much more active yes, because what's an amygdala? So, Fill me in here. Well so Okay, so our our desire to have safety, our desire to our our interpretation of events as life threatening is kind of a survival gland. So our our um oh, there's your problem. Our tendency to see a tendency to see things as scarier, life threatening oh, yeah. as more emergent. Oh. 
And wonder you don't you know, and then testosterone Jeez. gives us wonderful sense of well-being, right? Yep. The testosterone mm-hmm. contributes a sense hey. of well-being. So we're sort of deprived that. of those. Yeah, so yeah. we're worriers for a reason. And, oh, and we're less likely. There is a very good reason that women aren't chasing a, a, a woman that's normal, chemical, normal, you know, just typical female XX is mm-hmm. le- much, is, yeah, so um, much more protective that, uh, of her body and much more careful who she um, breeds with and has a baby with because she wants uh-huh. to make sure her offspring survives. And, and you don't think guys like are less, careful? You think guys want to you know, mate with a homeless person? I mean, come on. <laughs> no, but, it's, but Greg, it's different, and you know it. Obviously, I'm I an do. extreme example, mating with a homeless person. Women, women are geared to be more selective and more careful and mm-hmm. um, we get emotionally attached when the orifices are penetrated, and right. much more so than men typically. And that's oh. a huge risk. There's I a huge energetic, energetic uh, risk. So uh, now we're no longer focused. Mm. That's a whole show right there because I don't agree with mm-hmm. that. I think that once you have sex with somebody, you're forever bonded. Whether you want to or not, there's something that changes. It just does. And I, think I guys agree with are, you there. Yeah, I think guys are in complete denial, and I think society's in complete denial. If you think that men don't get attached when they have sex, for even one-nighters, for reason, for good, bad, whatever happens, that this idea that men are so detached from sex, I think that is complete BS. And okay, so talk, I never if, said men are detached from sex. Let me clarify. No, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't believe that you. either, I'm, and I do is, believe they're bonded. However, it's different. Yeah. There's a difference. Okay. Oh, I believe that. There's a, there's a big difference. I, I do agree. Mm-hmm. I don't think men are emotionally barren at all. And I do think there's a soul connection and a tie. And, you know, I don't know if we've probably been a long time, but my spiritual beliefs on sex is that, yeah, for the masculine, and this sounds very extreme, that you actually are indebted for life to care for that feminine soul. Um, And so even if you don't believe that or accept it. Indebted? it's, oh, that's interesting. It's hard to that's explore. an interesting word. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. Yeah, I got this. Because I see, of, I see, like when I was, <laughs> I just see just the opposite that women feel that we're indebted to them, you know, for having sex with us. I mean, I've seen that attitude. It's mm-hmm. really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I've had sex with you. I own you now. You have to do this, this, and this. Oh really? I don't think so. <laughs> well, there's a natural yeah. reason that they feel that way, though. I mean, you could, culturally, obviously, culturally, obviously, it's the furthest thing from the truth. A man can have sex with a woman and never speak to her again. And even if she gets pregnant, she's on her own completely, and she's got to deal with all the results. So that's our cultural, our cultural situation. But mm-hmm. if you look at, like, evolutionary psychology, obviously, she, was, she would definitely feel that way. And she might not be able to explain it, and everyone might laugh at her for, for treating a man that way, like, you owe me. But there's an evolutionary reason for that, that, that we, you know, you chose to mate with me. So now, you know, here's the offspring that might occur. Not that it's logical and that it's right. But oh, no, we're dealing with logic right? here. We're, we're dealing with, with uh, evolution, emotion, everything else. But, it's just, but the contrary argument to that is that, uh, that uh, you know, if a woman gets pregnant and the guy desperately wants to be a father, he has no control over that. She can walk away. She can ignore him. She can not tell him she's pregnant. She can disappear. And I know cases where this has happened. Right. So you want to talk about the ultimate and selfish, you know, where a woman gets pregnant and says, oh, I'm not going to have the guy in my life. I'm going to keep the kid for myself. You know, so there's why the, would there's, she there's, and why would she choose to do that? Why would see, she okay, choose so to they, do that? So, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So this is fascinating. So you immediately. So I give you an argument against something that women do to men that is absolutely horrible. And the first thing you say is, well, why would a woman do that? That's an interesting question. Rather than say, how would the guy feel in that situation? I just find that. Yeah, but I would say that. 
I would say that also, but but there's okay. a reason instead of blaming and getting, you know, instead of blaming and getting upset about it, it's I'm mm-hmm. always curious why someone does something. Yeah, interesting. Why, I'm why curious too. Someone, why would someone do something? Yeah, why like do, that? why would that why would a woman do that? And and okay. I I am a feminist, Fear, I love men, but I'm I'm a female. Yeah, it could be fear, it could be selfishness, it could be greed, it could be wanting to be a well, single the, parent and get welfare. I mean, there's this a ton of reasons. Yeah. Her life experience has been that she cannot count on a man and that, mm-hmm. um, and that it's more um, abuse or, or harm than it would be support. Now, I don't believe mm-hmm. that's true for most men, but for whatever reason, that's what's being propagated and that's what's being encouraged. Mm-hmm is yeah. um, single parent families and um, boys without fathers that are being raised in a toxic yeah. masculinity where the more women they can have sex with and treat like dirt, the better. And, and that's happening from single parents. So that's, that's from a boy not having a male role model. A, right. So this is what happens, right? Yep. And so, so that, that behavior will exist. And in certain mm-hmm. areas where single parenthood is more so than others, there's every reason why the woman might say, oh, no, I know what a man does and doesn't do. There's no way I'm going to hide from him. And um, so it's okay. a bigger, you know. But, but there's a flip side to that, too, because a lot of men, younger mm-hmm. men, are avoiding relationships because they can lose a child. The, the woman can raise a child singly. It used to be in the old days when you got married, for better or for worse. You know, and we can talk about that, too. But a lot of guys are completely abdicating any kind of relationship. They say, why should they do that? Woman gets pregnant, she's going to take the kid, you know, or if How I get is, married, yeah, I'm going to lose my so house. You know, there's, there's, a, there's two sides to all this. Every, uh-huh. Having gone through divorce, I have not yet to meet a woman who benefited in the divorce. It's either equal or she really took a hit. But I'm middle class to upper middle class. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends from, from the West Coast to New York to the Southeast. I have yeah. yet to meet a woman who came off better and ended up with more custody and the man wanted 50% and he didn't get it. I, I have yet to meet a person like that. Okay. Well, then we, I got to look at the stats more because my understanding, at least it used to be, and I think things have changed. They've actually got more equal in court, but it used to be um, that uh, men would automatically lose custody and, of course, they'd have to pay child support and the woman would have the, the kids and then the house and the cars and everything else. And that was the stereotypical divorce. That's very divorce. antiquated. That's a myth and that's not real. Right. That might well, be so a, that's, one, that's good. a one yeah. in 500 case that got a lot of publicity. That is absolutely mm-hmm. not statistically true statistically. Across the board, women fare much worse after divorce financially. So why do they initiate? Worse. It doesn't matter what the custody is. It doesn't matter what the custody is. Women initiate like seventy hmm? percent of the divorces. Why do women initiate divorces, knowing that they're going to come out worse? Well, do they know? What does our culture tell us? You just got Ooh, done saying that your belief was know. that. Yeah, our huh. culture tells us the opposite. If you watch enough TV and yeah. and hear enough rumors, I mean, I believed it before mine. I thought, oh, it's a fair system and. You know, when you <laughs> present everything, and it's 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 very interesting. So it airs on the side of the father these days, in, in almost every state. That's and um, yeah, that try marriage again. yeah, hmm. might be worth it. I don't know. Well, I, I, hopefully, I think it's a very painful reality, and I think that if we have more great childhood sex ed, social skills resolution, relationship mm-hmm. education, we will not have these relationships ending in divorce tearing apart a family, making all kinds of difficulty and making money for a mm-hmm. lot of takers like, like lawyers and, and the court systems, right? So that's, mm-hmm. so all of these things you and I talk about during my hour, hopefully 
you know, hopefully in some way help remedy that a little drop in the bucket, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I've, I've, I've done shows on, on family court. I've got a whole family court, you know, action radio family law project, but let's go back to the pleasure again of women. So, so here's something mm. interesting too, that as marriages go on, uh, I, I've, I've heard more guys complain, you know, that they're, they're not having sex with their wives. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's interesting. Um, if you're denying pleasure, again, I said that if, you, if a woman denies pleasure, especially in a relationship where you're not sharing, then that's going to affect uh, the guy, too, or it works for the guys, too. I mean, I, I mean, this is something we've never talked about, how many guys are denying their wives sex or partner sex. That would be an interesting topic, too. But the point is that if, you, if you're not in touch with your own pleasure, how can you share and, and enjoy pleasure with other people? And is that contributing to a, a gradual decline of sex in marriage? What do you think? Mm. Is, repeat the first part again. Well, it's a long question. <laughs> I'm just kind of rambling here. No, but I, I got we, the second part. We started off women. Yeah. Women are denying themselves pleasure. Okay, this is where we started today, mm-hmm. which is which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Now, if women are denying themselves pleasure, I was saying that they're also denying the men in their lives pleasure too, or other women if you know that's their relationship. But they're denying somebody else pleasure. If they're denying themselves, they're denying other people. Uh, and this so, is very interesting. I love this because think about this okay. to get into the, into the broader world. When a woman is happy because she's supported, because she has a high self-esteem, because she's created a life for herself where she's not overburdened, she has support system, she's allowed mm-hmm. to do self-care, she's allowed to nurture because she has time to nurture, she has time to make a nest of the home, she has time to work in the community giving back her love energy. Mm-hmm. When a woman like this is out in the world, the amount of energy she can give it, gives to others because of her radiance is mm-hmm is really significant. And, mm. and if you start to like people watch what you like to do and you notice a woman oh, yeah. that's smiley and that's chatty and that's like making eye contact, making people feel good, you mm-hmm. can feel the energy of the entire room come up more so than when a man does it. I'm going to say when men do it, I feel it too, but it's different. For, there's a different juice when a woman's doing it. It's just, Tell I me. don't know why. Tell me why. And what do you, um, think? you just notice it and then we'll, we'll get back on it like another time. Okay. Um, but, um, but um, you know, just start to notice it because I, you know, so think it's so similar. Like when a woman has cared for herself and she believes she deserves pleasure and she believes her job is to um, receive and to be supported. Um, in, in the bedroom now, she's able to receive and be supported and have pleasure. So it really is just and that's good a for lifestyle. Guys so guys when I talk about moving, trust me, it works. <laughs> it does. It just it's just so much nicer. Yeah. Yeah, yes, and when she trusts men that they want to keep her safe, when she trusts men that they want to support her, and again, this comes from upbringing and education about men and who they really are versus, mm-hmm. you know, the woman's idea to try to think of a man as a hairy woman, right? Like we have this cultural view that um, women have of men that they that they just don't care and they don't try, and you know, there's a lot of other adjectives I could use that are. Um, probably popularly accepted, but there's just a misunderstanding of women after the mm-hmm. feminist movement of, of who men are and what motivates them and what their strengths mm-hmm. are. And, and so they then turn away from that support and they turn away from that, that energy and it really just cuts off everybody. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's a broader picture as well as just in the, in the bedroom. So if you, if you don't really trust men on a deep cellular level, and you're in a relationship, how, abil- how able are you to let go and let your body receive and really, because you have to be very vulnerable to have an orgasm and to have this extended orgasm requires 
kind of a reboot of the systems of the body. It's really interesting. Explain that. How do you reboot mm. your body? Mm. Well, so, so if a woman wants to start experimenting with extended orgasms, the recommendations are that privately, prior to being with a partner, she not only strengthens her Kegel muscles, so that's a physical thing, but it's also a blood flow energetic thing, right? Bringing awareness mm-hmm. back into that part of the body, so those pulsing mm. tightnesses, and also starts practicing breath work. So breathing into the diaphragm deeply, and when she's pleasuring herself, masturbating, really experimenting with what actually feels good to her, what rhythm, what pressure, what areas, and really getting really familiar with that. And at the same time, practicing orgasming with her breath staying flowing and intact versus holding the breath. So people tend to hold their breath during the latter parts of sex. Some people hold hold it during the entire time, like, you know, this kind of gasping breathing. <laughs> but even if you're breathing, you know, I want to say, quote, normally towards orgasm, a lot of people tend to hold their breath or have gasping breaths. Now, why? there's a lot why of reasons. They, yeah. <sighs> oh, yeah I'm curious about everything. Right? I'm like a little kid here. This is fun. Why, why does that happen? No, I, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but here's the question. If women have to learn what makes them feel good, which makes, I think everybody has to learn what makes them feel good, how willing are women to share that with their partners so that, uh, or do they just assume that their partners know? And I think this is one of the big myths. I think women assume that men know more than we may know. And I think that uh, men assume that women know more than they do. So, you know, it's almost like a teaching experience. This is why I find it interesting that, uh, you know, especially for earlier experiences, you know, men, go find an older woman. You know, you'll learn a whole lot of stuff that you didn't know before. And it's, it's great. But, uh, um, but, this, but this is a question. Is, are, are women sharing as much as they should about what makes them happy? And I would say no until you encourage no, that. No, because you know why? Environment. No, one, tell me. One, they, don't, they don't know what makes them happy. So many don't know what makes them happy. Oh, they don't even that's know. That's interesting. So one of the, one of the tools... I can use when I'm working with women to move towards pleasure is actually just making a list. And if you'd be surprised how hard that is for some women, they will argue every, like every second of that exercise, why they have nothing that makes them happy. Why? Oh, this, except for this. Oh, this. And, and to actually even get to the point where mm-hmm. you can notice as you go through your day, take a week and notice the times you're happy and what is happening, even if it's just a split second. There's a lot of people walking through the world miserable almost all the time. Oh, it's very sad. But, so, but there are glimpses. Our emotions all change. We can't sustain that all the time. So there are right. times you feel happy. And what does that feel like in your body? And what exactly is happening? What just happened? What's happening right now? And then if you can... What occurred, what thought or occurrence happened that your thoughts decided to take you away from happiness? So just being aware of that is the first step, right? And if you can find three things, five things, ten things that you know make you happy, that is the first step. Because if you don't know what makes you happy and makes you feel good, exactly. Hmm. How are you ever going to That's funny. enjoy your bedtime experience? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think as a survival skill, I did that you know, from a very early age of what made me happy and what didn't. Simply because that was, I was in a pretty traumatic situation most of the time. And so I had to find what made me happy. You know? And a lot of times, you know, making model airplanes, playing music, uh, bike riding. You know? And uh, for the model airplanes, I still do you know, the other two, flying airplanes. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. very safe up in the air by myself, 
for some reason. Most people would find that terrifying. To me, it's very comfortable. Why is that? <laughs> you know, but it makes me I happy. I mean, you're probably an alien, you know? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty well convinced you might of that. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I mean, you have my upbringing and uh, being in an airplane upside down is a very safe environment compared to being down here with, you know, everybody else. How's that for weird? Hmm. Hmm. It's wonderful. We'll talk about that I think it's day. wonderful. You know, it makes <laughs> well, you happy, and it's flying high in the exactly sky by yourself. We could make yep. a sexual um, correlation with that, but anyway, um, yeah. The power. So, so, so <sighs> the it is essential yeah. to to. I feel like the it's control. really essential. It all comes down to how we teach and talk about human sexuality at a young age, and we talked about that topic before. Okay. But I think hmm. it's crucial, crucial, crucial. Early, early, high quality. Um, sexual education for children, which does not mean weird stuff that, that a lot of people, you know, freak out about it. It means it's very healthy, social, social relating things, facial expressions, learning to be kind, learning how Mm -hmm. to take turns, learning how a smile means someone's happy and I'm not going to smile. If I'm not happy, I'm going to say how I feel. And, you know, so all these things. I'm just going to get sarcastic. so, So that desire and, and so both desire isn't shameful nor mm-hmm. is your body, nor is anything about anatomy. And that's huge. And, to, and to, if we can overcome that barrier in our country, we've got a huge um, achievement. Um, yeah. and, and also uh, that mutual pleasure is, is, is part of um, health, actually. So if oh. I'm hanging out with my friend, we're both enjoying this fruit salad and we're both enjoying the conversation. And you didn't want fruit salad, you wanted um, you know, a smoothie. So we're going to go to a place that has both, or we're going to pick up one of each and then go to the park, like mutual pleasure. How do we both get our needs met? And, and we might not get everything we want, but it's enough and we get to enjoy each other. So that's basic. And that starts at a young age too. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. So you know, yeah. young age, you said something earlier I want to come back to, and you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, a kid playing in the mud and how do you tell them, you know, not to play in the mud? Uh, mm-hmm. I have a video on our action radio man page. You should take a look at it. It's only for men. I mean, only men can comment. I have, I have like, like man world. And one of the things mm-hmm. I found also I had the life and health coaching page, which is mostly women. It's just kind of, but a lot of times I post the same things on both groups. It's really kind of funny. But one of the things I found was a video uh, of a man, you know, with his daughter uh, bouncing up and down in the mud. You know, I mean, they're just jumping up and down, making mud, you know, splashes all over the place. I've done that with my kid. There's another one of, of, a, of a man, you know, with a, with a leaf blower you know, pushing his kid with a leaf blower. So there are things that men do with kids, especially with, with kids, maybe his daughters too. I've seen a video where a guy has a little, you know, baby in a bathtub kind of thing, plastic, or maybe a young toddler, you know, and they're watching a video of a roller coaster and the guy's making all kinds of noises and things like that, bouncing around and stuff. So men play completely differently with kids than women do. So women, you're saying, and this is why I found so fascinating earlier, because you're mentioning, well, you know, you don't want to play in the mud, you know, you're going to get dirty, you know, you want to tell them nicely how not to do that. And I'm thinking, no. The guy in that situation, at least most normal guys, are going to be like, I want to play in the mud too. So in many respects, I think men are more playful. And I think that's something that's one of the critical things that's missing with young children when they don't have fathers is there's a playful aspect. You know, I see a pile of leaves with my kid. We, we, go, yeah, we go play in the leaves. We don't. Go ahead. I agree 100%. Yeah. And what happens when a woman is playful? So think about mm-hmm. a playful adult woman. Mm-hmm. Just like from... Like about an probably adult had a good woman <laughs> Probably had a great father. I'm just guessing. You know, yeah. I would, yeah, and how would she be? How would she be <laughs> at home? How would she be out and about? How would she be in bed? How would she mm-hmm. be? Like, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think playful is good. I mean, I, you know, I look at the, the world, I, I'm like a very mature five-year-old. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've got the experience of, of 63. I'll be 64 next week, so you can sing, when I'm 64. So playful, a woman who's mm-hmm. playful is a woman who's free. Not only yeah. is she free, but she has space for herself and others. Mm-hmm. She's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. She's usually radiant. And very, you know, magnetic and energetic. A playful mm-hmm. laughter and play is um, opens the brain, opens the heart. And but in order to be playful, you have to have been given permission to play. Not only permission, but encouragement to be playful. See, now, I, and that's see, what I you're talking that, about. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's the question: though. Do guys take that permission? Because I, you know, my parents told me all the things I couldn't do, and I was openly defiant. <laughs> you know, I was terrible. Uh, you can't do this. You know, you're never going to be a good guitar player. And now I'm putting up videos of some pretty decent stuff, I think. You know, I mean, all the things I was told that I couldn't do, shouldn't do, you know, shouldn't want to do, and I've rejected almost all of it. Uh, maybe that's because I'm an alien, like you said earlier. But I just, I think guys are naturally more playful. We tend to do things, take more chances, take more risks, uh, and, and don't care as much what people say. But a playful woman is like one of the most fun people on the planet because you, you, mm-hmm. you know, but there's a safety aspect. I absolutely agree with that. Um, but I think that women, it's, it's like women need an external safety. Guys like have an internal safety. Uh, this is the, I just thought of that just now. Maybe that's a topic we can explore. Are men intrinsically born with uh, the fact that we feel safe naturally uh, and want to go climb the mountain, invent the light bulb, you know, uh, fly the kite with a key on it, you know, all the things, all the stupid things guys do. And a lot of women, I think, just, you know, really upset a lot of guys because they say, well, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. You know, that's not realistic. That's not practical. That's not whatever. And it's like, you know, that's her fear. That's her fear of being ah, safe. That that can be her fear. First of all, she hasn't felt permission herself. So she either okay. doesn't feel like she has permission, therefore she doesn't want anyone else to have it, or she doesn't, mm. or it's her safety, her safety BS coming in, her safety stuff, which, and also the controlling aspect, which is the shadow feminine. So when there's codependency or wounding from childhood, that they want to control everybody, right? So mm. that's yeah. what I'm feeling on that one. Interesting. It's like if a woman said to me, you know, you shouldn't fly airplanes; it's dangerous. I'm like, for who? It's not dangerous for me. It might be for you, but you don't have permission to tell me what I can't do. And I wonder if that applies uh, in, in relationships. Like, you know, I, I used to work in a gun store years and years ago. And I can't tell you how many guys would come in and either said, my wife said I could have a gun. Or, or they said, my wife said I couldn't have a gun, so I can only buy one. I really want three. Uh, it's really controlling and it's really destructive. You know, so mm-hmm. my message for women out there is don't be destructive of guys. Work on stuff. That doesn't mean that, you know, you should go bankrupt you know, for, for a guy's particular hobby, but there's a lot of destruction that goes on out there because there isn't a playful side. There isn't an experimental side there. It's like safety sort of ties into practicality and you're so practical. Well, we need more, more living room furniture. Well, does well, anybody so use the living wounding. room? No, I mean, honestly, there's <laughs> you know. so much childhood wounding. And so there's going to be a lot okay. of control until we heal some of these things. There's just going to be a lot of control issues. Huh. Right. And, and, and non-acceptance well, of the other, of the other mm. non-acceptance of the other gender. And um, how that they are different. They're they're different. And and the more we understand each other, the more um, there's forgiveness and acceptance and healthy relationships. Right. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't. This popped in my head as I'm thinking about pleasure and this extended mm-hmm. orgasm. Um, if you think about, if you say the word sex, like just if you just say the word sex without thinking of anything else, just sex, what's the first mm-hmm. action that pops in your head? Sex, action. Yeah, the act itself as opposed to gender. <laughs> what you, right but no, no, you, the act. No, yeah. don't, don't overthink it. What's the act, okay. the actual physical? Give me two body parts or body parts and an act. Mm. Intercourse. Sex. 
Exactly. Right. So isn't that interesting? Okay. So, 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 okay. So think about a woman's um, genital area and her pleasure centers. And the mm-hmm. fact that most of us, if we think about sex without thinking too much about it, we think of the penis penetrating honestly, mm-hmm. and, the, and mm-hmm. it's done when the male orgasms. Mm-hmm. That, that's really, and there's nothing wrong or right, but that's really most of our ideas about sex. So well, yes, we've got reaction. I, I think that is. Now, the way that's cultural or, or I think it is. It doesn't even matter. It's just interesting. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. But okay. we don't think of it as beginning with him performing oral sex or them kissing in the hallway as they pass by. He looks, oh, my gosh, my wife has such a cute butt. Will she let me have a little kiss? And then he's like, do you know how hot Will you are, honey? Will she let Before me? You know, Look what you just said. Will well, she busy. let me? Because she's in she's control. Busy. She's oh, okay. Guys. No, it's just, no I just, they're not no. planning sex. So, mm-hmm. so just go with my vision because that's not the point but I'm I, making. But I think but, women feel that way. But I think that's very revealing. In, my, in like. my mind, she's let him. busy, which she yeah, usually okay. is, and she's walking right. by. They haven't planned a date or sex, and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, she looks so cute. I'm going to see if I can get a little you know, and start saying the nice things and kissing her. And before Your you know language it, is fascinating. It's, it's so women-control-oriented. Women mm-hmm. It really is. But you work with women all the time. It makes perfect sense. But your language is incredibly women-control-oriented. It's really fascinating when you talk mm-hmm. about guys. She lets him. She does this. He, she gives him permission. It's, it's all women-control-oriented. You know, well, it is. Well. So, so in, in, the natural, in the natural way, the mm-hmm. man pursues, the male pursues the female, and she makes a choice whether she mm-hmm. feels safe and attracted enough and attracted is usually safe mm-hmm. and honored and cherished enough to give him her body. Right. That is, that's across all species. And um, that, that actually makes a lot of sense, but here's another choice too. Men make a choice too, whether to pursue in the first place. So in many ways, you know, men, th- that's the control we have. In my story. Right, exactly. <laughs> in my so, story, so men are not he gonna, married uh, her, he's attracted to her and he wants to get a little they? nookie in between dates, in between organized sex times, which is usually the evening or usually organized because they're a busy couple. That's boring. Because or, they're a busy well, couple. Well, that's true. If you got kids, it's So I'm just going to finish my okay. story and then you I'm can sorry. take it apart all you want and that's <laughs> okay. Ahead. Um, right. You can pick it apart. I don't even know if I can remember what, what I was saying. But um, <laughs> so I'll try to take out all the words that might be trigger words. Um, no, 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 go ahead. You, use he female decides control to look language. at her butt. Uh, he admires I, it. He tells her. So. He whispers right. in her ear. She begins to feel attracted to the idea of maybe fooling around. They decide to. They make their way to the bedroom. He caresses her. He says wonderful things to her that make her feel supported and adored because that's what turns her on as wrong or right as that is. <laughs> and, um, and he begins you're changing to, language. Uh, just, just talk naturally. I know, I'm it's, trying it's more, to be. No, I'm no, you're, no, be, you're, no, you're, no, you've changed. I've had influence to, on you. This is interesting. Go ahead. I just want to, yeah, I just want yeah, to. So, fascinating. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, he ends up providing her pleasure. She begins to get aroused. She gets really into it, which arouses him more. And they end up having vaginal penetrative sex, which results in both of them having her having multiple orgasms. The one was from prior to penetration and maybe one or two more after, during. And, um, and How many does he have? when he finishes, he doesn't pull out. He just lays mm. there with her. In this scenario, mm. he has his one. That is mm-hmm. what the vast majority of men are capable of, mm-hmm. and um, unless they're engaging in tantra or they're 18. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and when no, they're finished, they they lay there together and kiss and talk yeah. a little more and mm-hmm. um, cuddle cuddle again. a little longer. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe not. 
but so you know it, it, there might be room for us to envision sex is not starting with the man but it's so natural to for me also that's if you were to tell me the same question go you know that's the first thing that pops in my head mm-hmm. so if we take that to well, that's why would it pleasure yeah go ahead but if we take that these these are all subtle little just subtle little ways to think about, huh, why would a woman resist pleasure? And it might be because that's another little tiny component of why she feels she doesn't really deserve it. It's not really about her. Right. And again, that's changing a lot, obviously. Right. Through discussions like this. Yeah. I think we have amazing discussions. This is why it's so much fun. Um, But uh, okay. I I can pick apart my story. No, no, your story is great. It makes perfect sense. Um, But I think that uh, it's it's another thing I noticed too, is when, when it's not just you, but when the, especially talk about sex, uh, stuff the the men's in a very passive role, you know. Uh, even though he's the pursuer, you know she's making the decisions, she's doing this, and you talk about it from a female perspective, which makes sense. You're a woman. I, w- I wouldn't expect anything else. But I find that very societal too. That it's always looked upon as um, you know she's giving to him. And it's just it's a it's a very interesting perspective. And I think guys guys know so little about their own sexuality um, that they know they don't they don't even get in touch with their own playful nature. Guys don't use what guys do best which is create a safe situation, be protective, be fun, be playful. You know, the same guy that would uh, jump in mud puddles with his daughter, you know, you might be a fabulous lover with his you know, wife or girlfriend if he kept that playful state. And that's different, you know, obviously. Um, but it's just that I think guys lose that. They, they, they lose their playful state because we're conditioned out of it in the same way that women are conditioned not to have pleasure. Guys are conditioned out of being playful because you have to be mature. Mm-hmm. I think mothers do a terrible number on, on, on young men. You have to be practical. You can't dream. You can't do this. They take away all the things that a father would say, yeah, you want to go climb that mountain? Go for it. Let's go. I'll join you. you know? And so this is, and I think it applies to pleasure too. Because, you know, men's natural state is playful, is dreaming. You, know, you look at the people, who has, who has more dreams about really wild, impractical, stupid stuff? Guys do. Okay? So how can we use that? Let's bring it to a relationship. All right? So, so if the woman wants a really great lover for a guy, encourage his playful state. Well, what is his playful state? Well, let's go in the back of the car when nobody's around. You know, that's different. That's interesting. Okay. So there's, there's ways that we can work together. And I think you and I can discover all these things because I'm pretty open about guy stuff and I don't know how many other well, men the, are. Well, the woman doesn't Sorry. have to, again, the, the female energy in the relationship doesn't have, doesn't have to lead. Um, once things are comfortable, usually a healthy female, there will be maybe not an equal balance of initiating sex, but it won't be solely him initiating. Once she's comfortable enough and feels safe enough in the relationship and um, it's been established that, and I'm just going to use my language. I don't, this is my understanding of polarity. Um, My understanding of polarity suggests that relationships tend to stay in the polar when the masculine energy leads more. So that's even in the bedroom. So, um, she can do whatever she wants if she's a modern feminist and take over initiating more than half the time. Good luck. Um, yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. But um, there is some initiation that can happen, and that's fine. Um, but you, you don't think guys are happy when women initiate? When uh, takes all the burden I didn't off say they could never. Yeah, uh, I didn't say they could never. That's what I was trying okay. to say, that, that right. you can take it over 50% of the time if you want to. But if you would like polarity, the masculine energy is the leader. Is the, the vast majority I don't, of the time. If a woman said Leads to me, "I want you," I mean, that's that's like a real turn on. Even you know, a woman can can initiate without being um, aggressive, and a woman can initiate in a million subtle ways. Mm-hmm. And um, even her being appreciative of her man and and telling him how handsome he looks, 
which is all should be in the daily language anyway. I don't like should and right. shaming, but really if, if, if we're using our natural feminine language uh, mm-hmm. of appreciation and, and, and respect and, um, and allowing him to be him, it's going to be a turn on. There's going to be a lot of turn ons. There's a lot of turn ons in vulnerability. There's a lot of turn ons in a lot of the ways that feminine can communicate. So it doesn't have to be overt, although overt can be playful, but I'm, but most of the time mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be from the feminine energy is, mm-hmm. my, is my, my strong opinion. It, it's not necessary. Um, although no, the masculine energy is perfectly then. good, you know, but uh, I think it's, I think it's critical. You said something incredibly important a second ago, allow him to be him. And this is one of the biggest criticisms I have of women in relationships of, uh, and, you know, and I've heard this before that, uh, uh, someone says, you know, it was in a relationship with, you know, obviously no details, but uh, said, you know, you haven't changed a bit, you know, uh, the whole time we've been together, you haven't changed a bit. I'm like, thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> At least I'm still me, you know. And the point is that that women tend to want to, and this is pretty well known, want to change guys. It's like, well, it was great when I met him, but uh, mm-hmm. once, you know, once I train him, he'll be wonderful. You know, and, of course, in the language well, that's like true. that just women the relationships hell out of me. thinking how they're going to change them. And Why? men men are hoping they don't change. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, I don't know, honestly, but it, mm. it's definitely a phenomenon. I, I just think that women tend to think that men, and I don't know where this comes from, but I, I feel like women tend to want men. They think they're like women. They don't think it consciously, but they interact and expect them to be like women in their interactions and when they don't they consider them not not loving not caring or just completely um or inconsiderate. just being a guy this is fascinating this well, actually makes a lot of sense they consider them being inconsiderate so mm-hmm. so instead of understanding that their way of communicating is different their way of showing love might be different their words even the way they use language is different so mm-hmm. when a woman really knows her man and can see his way of communicating love and his way of communicating support, she can encourage and get more of that. And when it comes to the bedroom, I'm telling you, if she allows him to feel like a leader and a man and to feel like he gives her pleasure and that she loves what he does, he is going to get playful. He is going to come up with ideas. He is going to suggest. He doesn't want to suggest things and be playful if she's going to get offended or weird or think, oh, my gosh, oh, yeah, I'm not enough or whatever. There has to be open conversation. It has to be mm-hmm. able to be a, a, an yeah. area of creativity and safety for both where they can say, oh, I've always had this fantasy. I don't want to actually do it, but can we pretend? You know, and then if she feels like, you know what, this is a slippery slope, I'd rather not. That's a conversation, and that's okay because yeah. a woman who's in her feminine and feels super safe and confident about her body and moving towards pleasure is going to have a lot more allowances within the framework of, of her ethical boundaries, right? There's going to be a lot more playtime is what I'm saying. Hmm. Makes perfect sense yeah. to me. Uh, I, but I think that's the greatest revelation. So, And this is something the men should understand, too. Women don't want to change men, you know, quote, unquote. Women want to change men to talk to them as women would talk. So it's a communication mm-hmm. thing. So now, so let's, so that's something, that's a, that's a whole show. Itself. <laughs> so the communication. So I recognize women are completely different. That's why I love women. You yeah. know? I mean, I mean, I love talking to you because you think completely differently than I do. And, but I'm also open to a, what you say and B, you know, pointing out things I find interesting. The way you talk, the language you use is completely different than the language I use. 
So, and I sort of find, you know, upholding the, the, the guy end of this conversation, which obviously um, is quite interesting that because of our conversations, because, and people can actually listen to the two of us. Marco's, you know, here in the Netherlands, I wish he would type in something, but I think it'd be fascinating or friend of yours. Both He's men probably and women. still annoyed about how we said that if a man's not spiritually connected, he can't be divine masculine. I feel bad about that still. I feel like that oh. could have been worded differently. And that was my opinions on my part, which deserves more exploration. Well, you can always, I mean, I'm yeah, going mean, I, I to, I'm labeling Marco officially divine masculine. <laughs> there you go, Marco. I think you just left too. We have to tell him next week. <laughs> they, 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 okay. they, yeah, that's all right. We'll get to him. But no, but that's interesting to do. And, and that's something I do all the time too. And that's one of the biggest things, especially for men, admit mistakes or, or, or correct things or say, you know what? I said something and I'll do this on the air all the time. I say, I say, I said something really stupid yesterday. Here's what I, here's, let me, let me fix that. And so that I think, and that would, doesn't that work for relationships too? You know, and people are afraid to admit that they, they maintain their mistakes forever. You know, but if you say something really stupid to your partner, say so. So look, I, I, so I'm really sorry. That was a dumb thing of me to say. Yeah, it was a dumb thing. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, it, it's done. But if you don't admit these yeah, things. I'm it's, sorry it's like, to, I'm yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. I'm sorry if yeah. I hurt your feelings. Even yeah. if, and then um, I love this example by Alison Armstrong. And this is something that comes up so much when I'm talking to women. Um, when her man would stay in the car. <laughs> so he had multiple brain injuries. And so he has, to, he has memory issues sometimes. And, and also his relationship is very important to him. So he wants to really remember what she says. So she's mm-hmm. considerate enough to let him know when she's just talking or when it's important. But please remember this, right? So that's nice. But mm-hmm. um, like she says, for example, they'll be driving and, and he'll start tapping on the steering wheel saying, this is what she sounds like when she's scared. This is what she sounds like when she's scared. <laughs> Because when a woman is scared, it can sound like a lot of different things. It can sound like major criticism. It can sound like super big angry accusations. If it's healthy, it can sound like, I feel really scared when you're doing this. Mm-hmm. I know you're not trying to scare me, but that's how I feel right now. Um, I feel really scared right now because our child is sick. And, and, and because I'm so scared, I'm worried that you don't care enough and your ideas aren't considerate, aren't like, I'm considering all the options. And so it's scary. Like, right. So when a woman is scared, it can sound very ugly to a man. If she's not very intentional, how she, um, well, she should say she's scared. She so look, I'm really, she should say, I'm scared. I'm worried about this. I, you know, rather than saying you're doing this, you're doing that, you know, I, I don't want you doing this, that, and the other thing. So, so it'd be really helpful talking about communication. This is where I wish, you know, women would be more like men, be direct, be bold. Don't hide behind, uh, Anger when you're really well, scared. I mean, well, that's what I we could, were told. We're not we can deal to with fear. Be tough. Yeah, oh, we guys can deal with fear. Scared in school. When you're scared huh. in school, you get bullied. When you admit being scared, you know you're told by all of TV, right, and a lot of parents and a lot of adults that being scared is wimpy, even for a woman. Even for hmm. a woman, if you're scared, you're insecure. If you're scared, you're not decisive. If you're scared, you're not brave. Like scared never. Admitting you're scared never gets rewarded. So for a woman to be able to even It did in my flight instruction scared, class. <laughs> I wanted to know well, my students that's were scared. Well, by the flight instruction. Everyone should have to do that. Wait tables on a Sunday in the South and yep. go to flight school. <laughs> let's let's come south? up with a program. Let's you and I come why, up with a program. Why in the South? Uh, that's a whole other topic. Um, okay. Save okay. it for next week. But imagine the feeling of being scared and a woman mm-hmm. feels it a lot. And I'm not going to say all women. I'm going to say the feminine brain. The feminine brain is different than the masculine brain. That's been proven. Yep. I don't care how feminine oh, we, we prove are. It every it week. That's okay. Dorothy, we prove it every that's week. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
love it. Um, yep. So, and did you know that our capacity to learn and absorb information skyrockets right after we laugh? A genuine laugh. And that's 30 really? seconds after we genuine laugh. I just learned that this week, and that's reliable information. I'm going to laugh more. But um, I couldn't laugh more. I'd be laughing all the time. Oh, I find so many great. things funny. Oh, no. I'm, life is a constant oh, joy to me. so healthy. You know, I, Oh, yeah. Listen, I, I go bike riding and talk to the Cardinals. I mean, I, everything makes me happy. I know. <laughs> me too. You and I are the same. I bike ride. I, actually, right before the radio show, I made myself because I wanted my energy to be amazing. I was feeling a little uh-huh. down this morning. A oh, lot I'm of sorry. life circumstances happening. No, it's uh-huh. okay. It's just real life. It's real yeah, life true. single mom stuff. You know, and I write mm. about all this stuff. And the beautiful thing is God allows me to write about it with extreme empathy. So I can't I can't be empathic towards women if I haven't gone through all the all the mud, dragged in the mud, felt alone, isolated, overburdened, felt yeah. unsexy, felt you know all the things that I talked through it. What can I say? So I get the gifts right now Makes of, of um, some of those things. But yeah. I, to remedy it, because I move towards pleasure, that's what I do. I um, jumped on my bike. I made myself do a ten minute bike ride around my neighborhood. It's very hilly. And um, I was not warmed up, so I'm, you know, (sighs) and in the sunshine, and it's very cold here right now. So I came back so invigorated, and um, that you and I are like that way. Like, we can Mm -hmm. find pleasure in the exertion and the sunshine and the nature. Absolutely. It's lovely. Well, that can be sexual, too, in a a way. Even though you're by yourself, you come back and you think if if you had a partner, you'd be like, ha, I want you now. I've just been for a bike ride. (laughs) Well, if your vibration is raised, if you're feeling Mm. happy and playful and on top of the world, Mm -hmm. you're open to a lot of things, right? When you cut Mm -hmm. yourself off from pleasure, you cut yourself off from pleasure. It's a downward negative spiral, right? Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I just, uh, I did a Facebook post uh, this weekend on, on a bike ride. I think I, I'm now up to like 18 miles, you know, from my round trip. Uh, so I extended a little bit because I'm getting healthier. You know, it's quite fascinating. Uh, but that makes it, so physical exertion leads to sexual exertion. And they, 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 those two are absolutely compatible. We should stop that. We, oh, no, stop that. I just read the comment on the thing. But we should definitely explore that as well because you mentioned that earlier. You got a dog back there? Oh, no, that's a neighborhood dog. The neighborhood dog, whenever me and my dogs, I just came out on my porch because I was excited. I was talking about the bike ride and it's sunshine. It's sunshiny out here right now. Okay. And I'm standing right in a ray of sunlight, staring into the woods. And that dog, dog somehow from a long yeah. way away knows every time me and my dogs come outside, that dog, I don't know if he hears us. He's very far away. Could but he'll lonely. start barking like a maniac. Yeah. Could be a lonely dog. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Okay. He's well, this is fascinating. And but... my dogs are very privileged. My dogs get to run through the woods. I'm mm. such, they're so spoiled. I let them run through the woods, and they probably yeah. run over there a lot and taunt that dog. I don't know. <laughs> I can't see what because, they're doing. No, there's, I just there, there's freedom. There's, there's freedom <laughs> versus uh, the, the safety of the enclosure. So, the, so safety is also a prison. Because in order to feel mm-hmm, safe, you, sure you know, is. You know, and so yeah, ooh, there's a, write that down for next week. <laughs> the, the prison. I of love safety. that safety is a prison, and and but it, it can it gets good up to an extent. It's good, mm-hmm. like everything, it's good in moderation. But then, yeah. you know, can be exploited, right, to control us as it has been. Yeah, that's but a, let's that's choose the least freedom and pleasure, Greg. Yeah, yeah, it's that's it, fascinating. That's the, I was just thinking about that because I see that all the time about you know postings by women that they want to feel safe. I said that's the last. That's like that's like fifth or sixth on my list of concerns. First yeah. of all, it's fun. Secondly, but the, fe- the feminine it. does need to feel third, safe with the mask. Third, can I afford it? Safe. And that's, <laughs> you know, well, that's five. that's evolutionary biology. Yeah. That's good stuff. We we have to feel safe with our masculine presence. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, this masculine president is more than happy to help. So, you know, that's, uh, that's interesting. Oh, um, I love that. Aww. I've got to run. So we get along so well. All right. But we, we have an, I'm this last thing. We have an action radio writer's page. We have an action radio. Oh, we have an action. Dorothy. Yeah. We have an action radio writer's page. So feel to contribute. Feel free to contribute. I will. I will invite you to join. Yeah. Your turn. All right. Contact stuff. Okay. Um, Talk to you next week. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm on Facebook, Dorothy Diana. I also have a movement page. I just started Yoni Yoon, my fanatic, sensual, exotic movement therapy, um, which is so much fun. And I teach women to get back into their bodies and move towards pleasure. And they embody that completely in the physical, in the studio, and then they take it out in the world. And they're super reignited and happy and feeling sexy, which affects all parts of our lives. And uh, my website is yoniyoon, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com. I teach locally in the Charlotte area. Wonderful. Love their chat today. This is really fun. Very special. Very energetic. Yeah. Oh Talk about an adrenaline rush. This is great. Well, so I'm thank not you. I get to argue with you and also agree with you and laugh all in the same hour. So much fun. <laughs> Don't we do all three? I mean, it's, it's, it's a continuum. Oh, yeah. So, so, so we argue, we laugh, we have fun, we talk about everything, we, we explore things, we say things we never thought we'd say, and we do this all at the same time. <laughs> and we find ways to, and we we argue and then find ways to see eye to eye, which is really what healthy relationships are. You know, mm-hmm. arguing is essential, yeah. and then coming together is essential. This is like our radio relationship, then I guess. Oh my gosh. How's that for a term? Because we never met. People are crazy. Just to let folks know, Dorothy and I have never met. I think you had many radio relationships. (laughs) No, this one's with you. This hour is with you. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that too. Maybe maybe the wrong thing to say, radio relationship. Well, you know, I talk to a lot of other people, but uh, this is definitely my radio. This is my radio relationship, you know, because I don't talk about this stuff with anybody else. (sighs) At least on the air. talk about it together and we talk about it in comfortable mm-hmm. and then imagine how much easier relationship if you and I have been talking for a year and a half imagine going into a relationship and how much easier these topics would be and you can always say oh yeah no this crazy radio lady told me this what do you think and then you know it's not on <laughs> you and, and she can be like this, that's pretty this, cool <laughs> yeah, this voice in my head well this is why it's gonna be great to meet you someday because I'm curious how we talk compared to how we talk because we know each other so well on the air right but we've never met and I'm just, it's just going to be interesting. We're going to look at each other and go, well, what do you want to say? I don't know. You know I, or we're just going to like be ourselves. I don't know. But it, that would be a, an interesting thing itself. That if you develop, that's a whole other topic for another show. If you develop a, a, a rapport, relationship, friendship with someone, uh, either you're, like, you're writing to each other or you're, you're doing you know, Facebook messages or you're just phone calling or you just meet in person or you do, like, like us, we talk on the radio. It's interesting. You know what I just realized, Greg, and I have to I have to sign out uh, because I'm overdue for my um, hot yoga and massage double whammy self care day. Oh, but sounds um, like fun. I know, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, we forgot to talk about the details of the extended orgasm, so let's pick that up next week. I think your your listeners might want to know exact techniques and breath work. <laughs> I wonder if guys have extended exact orgasms. breath work and techniques, or do we just do it um, in yeah. order to try practicing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think guys. I think guys. The best thing is extended foreplay. So if you can extend your foreplay, then your orgasm is going to be unbelievable. And I think that's the difference. Women can have multiple orgasms. Well, that's kind of like edging. We'll talk about edging also because mm. that's a man's I heard that version. word. Yeah. No idea what it means. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that too. Yeah, we'll See? talk okay. about that because that's kind of similar to extended foreplay for men. All right. Huh. I will Go. talk to you next week. Super Bye, fab. Dorothy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye now. <laughs> I was talking to Dorothy. I mean, 
mosquito. Bunnies are incredible around here. Uh, this has been uh, a very intense show, a very incredible experience. Tomorrow I've got a big announcement uh, for something I'm doing today that I'm not going to tell you yet, but uh, some good things are happening. And so we'll, uh, I'll get into that uh, um, tomorrow, which once, once, uh, once everything was all set to go. Um, but this has been incredible. Uh, talking to Jonathan, talking to Dorothy, totally different topics, totally different people, totally you know, you know, from, from politics to sex. I mean, where, where else do you get that kind of accommodation on a Monday? This is too much fun. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central. We've got Brianna Cannon with the Government Inquiry Report. We've got Josie Cossie with the Latina Report. And then I've got the third hour, because I don't have any guests this week. I have no idea what we're going to do. Um, but it's going to be something, uh, hopefully, that we'll, uh, that nobody else is talking about, because that's kind of my goal here. All right, back again tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central time, when we will do it all again. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. 
Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grave Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people. 
give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.